recording is happening. Look, see, we can see the peaks, peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. So that's me. That's you. I need You're a on. pop filter for my peas. Done. Good. All right. Let me go. This is yep. This is the most prepared I've ever been. Oh, I don't know. I, that was my finger. I was good. See, even with the fade. So, Don, this is the first time. Well, usually by this time at IAFP, I am my lost my voice. We've we've usually recorded our food safety talk episode at IAFP after um, we've we've gone to karaoke where you have Leonard Cohenized a Grateful Dead song, and I have um, terribly rapped something. Um, and and also, I'm usually way way more tired by the time we record this what, at IAFP. Like, and and I mean, truth be told, I, even though both my kids listen to this show sometimes, never actually. Um, but I I'm usually more like hungover by this time in the week, <laughs> or by the time we record. It's usually like I I'm just I'm I'm just trying to exist like I haven't eaten anything by the time we record in the middle of the afternoon um and so I feel really like this is different this I feel good it's Monday I've I've gone to bed early a couple of days um my IFP is going well I feel like I'm getting I feel like I'm growing up Dom but you know one one thing Ben that we did not think about because the most important thing in scheduling this episode was when we were both available. What we didn't think about would be other things that would be going on at the same time. So I want to point out for the listeners and for the folks in the room, it's not too late to leave. You can go hear Frank Giannis, noted food safety expert Frank Giannis. According to Michelle Daniluk, who is in the room, um, he just quoted Spider-Man. Um, with great challenges come great opportunities. Uh, I actually corrected Michelle. (laughs) It was not Spider-Man that said that. It was Peter Parker's Uncle Ben, um, R.I.P. So just uh, let the record show. Well, and I feel we'll we'll get our live tweets or texts from Michelle, and we'll just update people in real time on what's happening in in the talks. Um, Yeah, there. You know, we didn't really. We plan for us, Don. We don't plan for others. I think that's the. the, Well, I think we we consider you know what who the important people are, and we we proceed accordingly. And we just do our we do our thing. I so usually when we're oh, at, I, I want oh. the record to know when we announced to the, all of the many many people that are sitting in the room that they could go and hear Frank Giannis, um, none of them left. No one left. Yeah, no one left. You can also go hear Sandy Eskin as Who, well. I mean, that, neither not. of them will listen to this, but I, I actually am kind of sad I'm missing what Sandy has. I think Sandy does listen to this every once in a while because <laughs> because she at uh, one point uh, emailed us about something that we said. So that was before she became a government employee. I, think, I don't think got... she's allowed to email anymore. Yes. Yeah, that's possible. Um, sorry, she's I'm... certainly not allowed to text with her own personal phone. <laughs> no, never. never. <laughs> that, would, that would be bad. Not possible. Not possible. See an earlier episode. Yeah. Um, so 
We're here at IAFP. Um, we've got some some folks in the room with us. This is, uh, I, I think, and I didn't go back into the archive to look at this, but we, we believe, I say we believe, I believe, that this is like the 10th time we've done this at IFP, including episode zero, right? Right, so, right. Because I don't think we, 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 we decided in the first year. And we've had um, numerous guests over the, over the years, and we've, we've now, I mean, grown to where there is like a, an audience that comes in. Um, and not just like we stop people in the in the hallways and be like, hey, come be a, 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 a guest on our our on our podcast right now. Self-selected, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, so, but one of the, I guess one of the drawbacks is because I'm gonna, I, what I like to do in this episode is talk about the things I've seen. I've seen very little because we are doing this early on in the um, in the conference. But I did see a couple of things that I want to talk about, and I'm gonna I want to know maybe aspirationally the things that you would like to see at, at well, this conference. Some someone someone did ask me um, what. Oops, sorry, I, I just started playing episode zero in an effort oh. to uh, to uh, link to it. Um, so um, what was I gonna say? So somebody asked me what did I did this, what I saw. Oh, Michelle, our good friend Michelle, who was texting us a minute ago, just asked me um, what I what I what I had seen of the meeting already today, and I, I explained to her that I saw um, my laptop screen and my email count going down because that's what I spent the morning doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you do that in sessions? Did you do it while you I, No, around? no, I did, I did that in my private office. Oh, in your private office that has been now taken over. <laughs> well, it was, it, my, it, was, it was the private office annex, that was, which is the room <laughs> that I could get into that had my private office. So there was, a, there was some leftover bagels um, from a breakfast meeting, I think. Oh. I mean, it was, it was a half. I didn't, I didn't eat it. It was what? a half-eaten bagel. I didn't clean it up either. I just left it there. Was it in the – what? Tell me, because it might have been the breakfast meeting that I was in. Well, it was, it was like I'm – with pointing with my right uh -huh. hand, um, it was two rooms down that way. What kind of bagel was it? I didn't look. Oh. Had had cream cheese on it. Huh. Yeah, Wait. I don't know. Did you leave a half-eaten bagel? I, think so. I definitely only half <laughs> ate my bagel, but I don't think I left it. Did I leave it, Caitlin? I think so. Kate. Oh my I God! It was Ben's bagel. That's a collectible. We could have that. We could have that bronze. That's phenomenal. I I uh, you know I I try to I, I I needed something to eat this morning, but I didn't really want a whole bagel. Until I'd already put all of my cream cheese on the entire bagel, I was like, "Yeah, I don't really want that." But it's good. All right, so we so found, so so yeah. so I've got two follow-up questions. Oh, yes, go ahead. Because <laughs> we're right now yeah. into, deep into the content. What meeting was it? Oh, good. So this is um, a group called the Food Safety Extension Network, and it's run out of 13 institutions in the southeast of the U.S. And it's a group that's come together over the last couple of years to <clears throat> share. Um, curricula, programs, expertise, um, and try to come up with some like formal way to share stuff because um, we've got some institutions in the region that don't have food safety extension specialists, but still have people surprisingly in their state that would like to know about food safety. And, uh, and they often need to connect with someone to help them answer those questions. And, and when we have other institutions in the region that have a lot of food safety extension people. And so we're trying to share the love. And, and this is a, an organizational meeting. We've met a couple of times, but we wanted to bring other people who do consumer and retail and um, like home-based business, food safety, all together. And just kind of like, hey, we're going to do some stuff as we go forward. 
so so I've now I got now another more, I have one more follow-up. one more follow up question and the other follow up question okay. which is on which is now the second follow up question. Um, well first of well first of all I was like well I'm kind of disappointed that I wasn't invited right. as somebody who does food safety extension. But then I heard all the stuff you were talking about about like curriculum. And I don't know. It, it just sounds like a lot of work. Like I mostly <laughs> just do this podcast. And if anybody <laughs> says are you doing any extension stuff, I'm like I have two two podcasts. The lottery, lottery. Yeah. No. No. And um, I think we we're. We, we really just uh, invited some folks who were part of the, the FDA regional centers to be like, hey, we might want to connect with you eventually. So we didn't we didn't invite all of our food safety friends. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Don't feel um, left out. I'm, a little bit I'm, of FOMO. I, okay. Now, now, now I still have two follow-up. Well, okay. I have a follow-up, another follow-up question and a comment for you. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. So on the About Us page of Food Safety Talk, which is, by the way, where you can find the link to episode zero, um, uh, apparently this podcast is ho- hosted by Ben Chapman, an associate professor oh. and extension specialist, safety specialist at North Carolina State University. That needs to be That's modified. Yeah. To, to professor and head. Yes. Um, not uh, chair. Yeah. Not chair. Don't call him chair. Um, so, all right. And I'm closing all these loops. Last loop. Um, what time was it when you were eating your bagel, Ben? Uh, it was a 7.15 a.m. What time did you see my bagel and cream cheese? <laughs> it was like 10-ish. Oh, oh. But, but I know where my, you're going but, next. Okay, so, well, what's the answer? Yeah. Smart so guy. It's really hard. I know, well, do you want me to answer, ask? Do I know the question? The yeah, question wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, we have an audience in the room. Yeah. Um, I know, I know what question Ben thinks I'm going to ask. Raise your hand if you also know the question that I'm going to ask Ben. And the record will show a majority, but not unanimous, people that know what it is we're talking about. So it's really... If those of you that didn't raise your hand, please leave the room now. I'm just going to... Right, right, right. I'm just going to answer the question, and then I'll tell you what the question was afterwards. It's really hard to do it when you're, on, uh, when you're not at home. And the question is, I thought you only ate food starting at noon instead of uh, on the, on the, the, the quote, 7-Eleven diet, which for me is actually more of the 12 to 8 diet. Yes. Um, yeah, 7-Eleven Seven, helps because you can remember I that. Can but remember. Then you have to remember to switch the numbers, couple, which is yeah. 11 and 7, yeah. but it's actually 12 and, and um, yeah. So, and have I shared with you that I am also trying this diet? And how um, is it for you on the road? It's fine at a meeting, Ben. You just have to have a little discipline and self-control. Now, I do really good at the not eating. Well, I have I have a coffee with cream in it, so that is technically cheating. Yeah. Okay. But I do pretty good at, at eating, uh, waiting until noon. I waited until noon today, and then I went to the, the breakfast or the, the lunch here at the meeting, and I ate two lunches. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, and there's the difference. I ate this breakfast a half-eaten bagel with cream cheese that I left in the room that you found. Um, and allegedly. Allegedly. And then, uh, and then I haven't eaten anything since then. Other than, let the record show, my, one of my favorite things to do at IFE, so this is for everyone, I guess, well, everyone in the room here, um, but then also people who might come next year and are listening to this. Um, there are little um, coolers, well, freezers, full of ice cream that exist on the exhibit hall floor that they're like, I don't know, like a video game, because you don't always know exactly where they are, and you're not exactly sure what you're going to find in them. But for the most part, almost every year I can find ice cream sandwiches, like the old school ice cream sandwiches that are like chocolate cookie wafer, I guess, that gets kind of soggy with vanilla ice cream in the in the middle. And I don't know who sponsors it, but I'm very happy that they do. So I also um, let the record show post-breakfast 
in absence of lunch, had a ice cream sandwich, which I also ran into you while I had just finished I, it. And I entered into a conversation and was like, oh, I just ate my ice cream sandwich. Where is my mask? And I couldn't find my mask. So it was, yeah. So twice I've, I've fallen off my, um, my, my 7-Eleven diet here. So yo, know, I've lost the thread. So it's a di- it's a different vendor every year potentially because you you go usually like what they do it's is they, they hook up with whoever is local and can oh, yeah. can make a delivery. And we did and, and at Chobani also because they're yeah. you know oh. they we're tightly interconnected with past presidents there. Um, and then there was one other point I was going to make. Oh, I think mostly I mean intermittent, intermittent fasting, whatever. I'm not a scientist that studies that kind of stuff, but I think mostly it's just because you're skipping meals. Yeah. So, but anyway, so so I did. Oh, to, to, to completely close that loop, so we can finally talk about food safety, not just food. Um, I do really good. I can do pretty well with not eating until noon. Um, less so stopping eating and drinking after eight. Ah. That, which I'm sure you don't have a problem with that at all. No, not at all. Not here. I can do so so much better when I'm or not around people and at home. Um, yes, but I do have the rule of three that I that I've established at this meeting. You have three drinks and no more. That's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) It's an aspirational rule, Don. You know what they say, three is two, two is one, one is none. That's right. It's always three is three and three is is four and four is five and five is too many. And it just keeps going. Yeah. So, but I did make a really good decision last night where I was offered, hey, would you like another beer? And I was like, no, I need to go. And what I said was, I have a podcast I have, to record. I, I need to go because I have a big day tomorrow because I have to rec- record a podcast. <laughs> big day, big day here. Um, so um, this is, and, and again, just for listeners who are listening to us like normally, not not like our, our friends in the room who are listening to us. And, and Don and I are drastically trying not to make eye contact with any of you. Or each or other. Or each other, because that's, that's what we do. Um, but this, uh, we're, we're really lucky to have um, some, some friends of Food Safety Talk here today. And so I think I w- there's a couple things I want to talk about um, and get your thoughts on, Don. But then mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll, we'll open up the mic and we'll ask for questions. I feel like we could probably do even some risky or not questions if if anybody wanted to ask those. But but today. but but those risky or not questions, where will they will they appear in the risky or not no. feed? Oh crap. No. You know what? Apologies to everybody <laughs> who is listening to this and who suddenly realized or I, I suddenly realized anyway, all any of you who are listening to this who are expecting a risky or not episode on Monday, August first um, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be late. It's not coming. It's not up yet. <laughs> it's recorded. Yeah. Um, it's edited. Um, but the and the show notes are done. But it's not posted on um, Squarespace oh. or Libsyn. So apologies. Well, you're, I feel like you're not even late yet because it's still Monday. Well, the first of all. No. Well, yeah. But it's but but it's supposed to come out at eight in the morning, and then the the thing posts at noon. And uh, instead, instead, I answered emails and did, did a little bit of consulting for and, a company. That, and you're in your that, private yeah. office. Oh, in my, pri- my private office. And, and I thought about, I thought about, I should really do that. And I really should write that down on my, a piece of paper. And then instead I got to the, like where I needed to go do something else. And I did. So again, I, I want to apologize to everybody who's hearing this in the future. Um, and to those of you here in person who are expecting an episode today. And by the time yeah. they hear this, it'll have already posted. Oh, yeah, yes. But, 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 but. Um, so the question is, if we take riskier or yeah, not yeah. today, 
Where are, where are those going to be? Like, like is that a, is that a segment now on on food safety talk? I think it's when we record live, I think it becomes a segment. Okay, yeah, because right. we did that when we were at Afto. Yep, yeah. So we sorted we sorted did that at, at PepsiCo. Yeah, which is a the lost episode. Lost episode. There's we recorded an episode that'll never will never air because because I, I don't think that can be cleared by corporate. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually it was a it was a fun podcast, but also it was not a podcast like Food Safety Talk. We haven't really talked about this. We should talk about it. We should. So we did this cool thing where we went to PepsiCo's headquarters. Um, they brought us in. We did this live live episode, and um, it was not like food safety talk because we had a moderator. Oh, we we not just any moderator. We had the VP of food safety for all of PepsiCo, who was a, a delightful man who was not quite sure what a podcast was <laughs> or why we didn't have slides or exactly what we were going to talk about. And he was a little nervous, I think, oh, when, when we told him we don't really have a script and we don't know what we're going to talk about. And, and then we, we said, hey, we, we'd be happy to take some risky or not questions. And so they, they prepared some risky or not questions mm. for us, which were not risky. No, or they, not they prepared some things which were not risky or not questions. It was like a question. And I'll paraphrase because not, I'm not looking at it. But it was something like food traceability, risky or not. <laughs> um, well, or um, how, how do you how do you implement a food safety culture? Risky, risky or, not? or not? Yeah, yeah. So no, no. We 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 say this in jest. It was really it was a lovely. Topic. It was. A, it, they have yeah. a lovely campus. The people were yeah. wonderful. Um, I think the VP was surprised and delighted that it was not as horrible as or as bad as he feared. So yeah. I heard. So I heard from from someone who hosted us that three thousand people listened to that live and ten thousand people have listened to it since. And it won't be 10,001 because it is, I think it's over. And, and none of our regular listeners will get to listen to it. <laughs> we did ask. We said, could we post this? And, and they were like, eh. We'll get back to you on yeah, that. Yeah, we don't think so. So, um, yeah. So, all right. Here are some things I want to talk to you about from today. So okay. we already talked about um, the, the uh, Food Safety Extension Network. I went to a roundtable today on flour and shigatoxin producing E. coli, what can be done to prevent it? And our friend, actually two of our friends, maybe many of our friends, were on the, uh, um, on the panel. Uh, Linda Harris was there, uh, Betty Feng from uh, Purdue, Kelly Stevens from General Mills, um, really, I, oh, really good. Uh, so some, so I have some, some Pops related follow up. Oh, well, Pop, Pop, Pops has moved out. Pops has moved out. Kelly told me. Um, yes. So again, for for, other, for listeners, um, pops is uh, Kelly's um, eighty-two-year-old father-in-law who used to live in an RV in her driveway, and who used to do things like like thaw the chicken overnight on the hood of the RV. I don't yeah, something, yeah, something like, like that. that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Lots of it's good food safety the, stories. It's back in the archives, food safety talk archives. I don't think that was, it was before we were doing risk or not. That we and it, I don't think we attributed pops. that to Kelly. Oh. Um, so go edit that. Ben later yeah yeah someone somebody else. record scratch yeah yeah um so uh anyway we uh it was a, it was a really cool round table so it i you know you and i have talked about this for quite some time but like flour and and aztec is something i'm really interested in because it's not uh, well first of all um friend of the show in front of ours linda harris said it's complicated and it depends which was great um, but it's it's really kind of a hard one to 
to solve. And I and I heard like I learned more about it today in a in a cool way. Like I they had some some other folks on the roundtable who um, talked about harvest. Linda talked a little bit about the um, oh gosh, what was the term that they use? There's a process that you know is, the, it, is it called a ground pile no it's not a ground pile it's where they they add water in the process oh, to yeah. loosen <clears throat> the brand so before it's milled it's called tempering the tempering process and so so you have this really really dry product that at some point gets wet and then dries again um and and that could really be part of some of the problems that that are seen um with with regards to to flour um, and then there was a lot of conversation just about like consumer messaging and, and consumer food safety um, around these products. And, and I thought I don't, I'm going to give a shout out to Linda because for lots of reasons we love Linda. But Linda brought up you know in regards to the consumer message challenges. Not only are we talking about like don't eat raw cookie dough, but um, it's a term the term that she didn't use today. But I think you and I have talked a little bit about in the past which is like when you drop a bag of flour down on the table and the, like a plume happens and all that raw flour goes somewhere, you know, there's a cleaning and sanitizing and cross-contamination issue that we really haven't even like addressed in, in any of the messages yet. So anyway, it was, it was a really, I thought it was a really, it was a very well attended round table. Um, it was moderated by uh, Mark Mormon from um, FDA. And I, I thought it was a very, it, I, I like roundtables a lot because you, you get to good opinions and there's some science, but there's a real good conversation. And I thought this was a good conversation. And I hope the right people in the room are there to say, okay, we need to solve some of this. Um, and, and, you know, let's, let's try to figure out best ways to do that. Yeah, well, I, one of the right people that probably should have been in the room, but I hear he was busy. <clears throat> do an email? Do an email. It was a guy who might be doing a risk assessment oh. on raw flour, but um, he can always listen to the recording It'll be later. There. But, yeah, no, and I, I have been, speaking of roundtables in general, I have been a big advocate for roundtables at IAFP. And, again, in part, I think, because of my experience doing podcasts, right? Like, it is such – I love the – and, again, it's kind of like the our thing at PepsiCo, right? Like, I really like – I wouldn't say working without a net, right? I mean, it's like I've, the net is 30 years of experience thinking about this and 10 years, I guess, wow, 10 years of doing this with Ten. you. Um, like, I'm, I'm really comfortable, like, thinking off the, thinking, thinking off the top of my head. That's not, that's, not the, that's not the right expression. But anyway, like, like be, reacting in the moment. And, and you can get to some really good, really good conversations. So I, am, I am well and truly sorry I missed it. So was, it, was the focus strictly on consumers or was no. the focus on the whole chain? It was the whole chain. It was, yeah, I mean, right back to, to production. Um, and then there are some really great um, audience questions about, okay, and this is actually where, where Linda said it, it's complicated and depends. Like, okay, so we're talking about wheat flour here, right? Well, what about corn flour? What about almond flour? Um, and, and is it the same? And Linda's answer was, well, it's complicated and it depends. Um, well, and, and, and yeah, I mean, are, the, are, the, are there risks with that? I, I'm going to say probably yes. Yeah. Uh, are they the same? We don't know. But also, if these are less consumed flowers, it's going to be harder to see problems because the, the size of the signal is going to be smaller, right? Yeah, and I think we, we've we not seen the outbreaks with those other products. Not any detected outbreaks, it's, Yeah, right. detected. So, yeah. So, it, it was, yeah, it was a really, I, I think, a good um, a good discussion. And, and there were, you know, I, 
I always, I, I hope it wasn't just a lot of like talk. I hope that that you know Nifo is in the room. That you know I know Kelly's um, and General Mills are part of like a, there's a couple of Millers associations. I hope those trade associations take this information and start to try to answer some of this with and put some funds to to the to the you know the the data gaps to really move forward on it. Um, it was it was good. What was really interesting, and again, I'll paraphrase this because, um, and people can go back to the recording to listen to it. But Mark said, um, you know, FDA doesn't doesn't want to have a sampling assignment around retail flour looking for pathogens. They they want the industry to to really try to reduce these these outbreaks. But he also said, but it's kind of our responsibility to fix this. And so it wasn't like, I'm not saying it came out across like a threat because I don't think Mark was threatening anybody, but it was kind of like, hey, you should probably do something or we might do something that'll make you do something. Is that, hey, hey, is that punk. a threat? Hey, that, punk, do you feel lucky today? Right, right. So uh, it, was, it was good. Um, I want so uh, so sorry before yeah. we completely leave that though I mean th there are people sampling at retail it's just FDA has not done a sampling assignment right. th this is something that I have taught when I've talked with my industry colleagues like they're this concerns them, right? I mean, that they're, again, when, why wouldn't it, right? Like, okay, we don't have a, I mean, it's one thing if you have an outbreak, but it's another thing if you have a, a re retail symbol that tests positive, um, and then now you have to do a recall with no, with no cases, right? And again, it's a, but, but I mean, you, you have to, it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's something that it'll be, it, sorry, I'm like thinking like nine different ways here, but, in those sampling assignments, from the past, we've really seen a lot of like, you know, presence and absence, right? Right. right. And and I think that that really matters. So I I don't know about the types of sampling that's happening right now. Whether you know if it's State Department's agricultural health or buyer sampling, um, and and if anybody's doing enumeration, because I think it like we've talked about with listeria in the past, it matters quite a bit for. For this, um, you know, for for this food pathogen combination. Yeah, and I and I think it probably is a lot of it is presence absence sampling, mm -hmm. and what we really need for risk assessment is is not that. And again, I think Linda Harris has been the kind of a pioneer in this with some of the stuff that she's done with almonds, where basically what you do is you do a sample, you do presence absence, and you, you get if you have presence, you've got a paired related sample that was sampled at the same time, and then you do an MPN on that, right? And that gets you probably the closest you're going to get to any kind of quantitative information. And interestingly enough, I think, and I'm, I'm I'm not looking at the paper, but I believe a lot of the time when you get a positive on the on the the first sample, you go to test the rest of it, and there's nothing there. Huh. So so it's so it's really it really is a low level event in in many cases. Mm. One one thing that um, Mark also talked about was just and not just consumer messaging, but how do you get to like teachers who are using dough in the classroom, at, not as food, but as a like as a play item where that's a really tough one because who, who has like jurisdiction over that, right? Like it's not a food at that point um, or it's not it being intended to be used as a food and, and it, you know, a, a classroom teacher or even someone who's using it in their home in this way isn't really um, thinking, I think, about the risks associated with handling the flour 
uh, from a cross-contamination standpoint, um, or the or the dough, we, and and all the messages right now are like, don't don't eat it. Well, right. well I'm not right. Like that's yeah. yeah. Don't worry, I'm not eating this because there's like dirty little kids' hands all over it. But they, you know, what we're what we're kind of missing is that um, also the you know. Cleaning and sanitizing afterwards is important, and hand washing and hand hygiene is important as well. Yeah, and just related to that, there's another paper that um, will hopefully get submitted soon that was done by my um, graduate student. Actually, it was done when she was a postdoc, Jin Jung, uh, looking at look like like recipes on the internet for making homemade Play-Doh to try to figure out, you know, do any of these support the growth of pathogens? And the good news is they don't, uh, but the bad news is they do hang out in those in those products so but we had we didn't do anything with cross-contamination so yeah well and, and i you know this is uh i think in the 2016 or 2017 outbreaks if i can find them uh here that it some of the illnesses were not just about eating but it was about handling as well mm -hmm. um in at least one of those outbreaks like that yeah for sure it was like was one was a was a rat wasn't it a restaurant yeah. where kids were given tortilla flour tor yeah yeah to to play with as their meals were coming yeah so that that is that's a i don't know it's a big it's a big challenge it was good it was good i, I don't think that we've had a round table on flour specifically yeah um uh here i know we've had some some uh symposia talking a little bit about here's what we know about it um over the previous few years but it was it was a really i thought a really good conversation today um all right so yesterday there was uh, we had the ivan parkin uh, lecture and um it was um Lu lucia analich mm -hmm. um who who gave that lecture i thought it was really really fantastic so uh, lucia talked about um just challenges of food safety across the entire african continent and then also specifically in South Africa, where where she's based, and just the it, I, I thought it was a very thought-provoking uh, conversation. Um, she she brought up um, a lot of public health um, inequities, uh, especially throughout the course of the pandemic, and how that that absolutely impacts and has a it's it's right there uh, adjacent to. Um, to the world of, of food safety. But then she also uh, talked quite a bit about some really exciting movement going forward of um, having an entire, uh, you know, potential for a food safety commission across the entire continent to be able to, to share resources and, um, and focus on things uh, across all of, all of Africa. And I just thought, I thought she was a phenomenal speaker and I thought it was a very thought-provoking um, lecture. Do do you know um, Ben? Was it recorded? <laughs> uh, I don't. I I would assume so, Don. I think okay. it's I think it's available. Because because Ben, I, I think it's become clear from our conversations, uh, our strategies for this meeting. Yes. <laughs> so now, so obviously, um, I was not there to hear Lucia, um, and I'm sure it was a wonderful presentation. Um, but now I have an ethical question for you. Uh huh. <clears throat> Is it? Is it is it ethical or is it appropriate for me to tell you people that I was with or who I saw while I was potentially not going <laughs> to that lecture? Yeah, no, I think that's fine. I think you should out you should out uh, these people. Okay, so um, one of one of them is our good friend Byron Chavez. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Okay, I pronounced Chaves, I think. Chavez. Um, 
and the other one is our good friend um, uh, Faith uh, Faith, Faith Kritzer, Dr. Kreitzer Dr. 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 Critter um, and then on the way in to the bar slash restaurant we saw Don Zink and uh, Mansoor <laughs> well oh and then people did come join us later but they might have might have theoretically attended the lecture well, but I, I feel like they're all just going to watch the recording like you are let's hope there's a recording <laughs> I mean, it was a good. It was a good one, and and I can't. That's good. I'm yeah, glad. I'm and glad. I can't say that every year yeah. that it's always a that it's always a good one. But but if it was, if it was not a good one, you just wouldn't be talking about Correct. it. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, all right. And so here's the last, the last thing, uh, IAFP specific. Um, I also went to another roundtable today that I thought was really, really cool. And actually, I want to talk to you about this because you and I are on a project on this. Mm. So the roundtable was COVID-19, what have we learned to make our food systems more resilient in the future? So um, th this was, a, a, you know, many, many people who we know. Um, so Jeff Farber uh, was was on the panel. Um, trying to think who who else i know i know for sure jeff <laughs> and um leon gorris was was moderating um but like, without getting in the particulars is an international um group and katie katie swanson former uh former president of ifp i believe the term is past president oh right it's like because you're oh. never you're always a marine yes exactly <laughs> Um, yes. Uh, so past president, um, uh, Katie Swanson asked a really great question about the politics of resiliency in COVID-19 in, uh, in other countries. And so, so, you know, like not to, you know, we've talked quite a bit about this, but not to go too deep on it. You know, the, the, the entire conversation around, Trust in CDC, masks, um, trust in vaccines, ivermectin, injecting your body with blood, with uh, bleach, all of those things really got extremely politicized and continue to be politicized um, today. And and Katie asked a really cool question, which was, so I know it was like here, but what was it like in your countries? And what do you what do you think the answer was, Don? Like I know you weren't there, and you can check. The well, it depends but I, which countries. So, um, Canada, Germany, um, uh, Italy, South Africa. Lucia was on the was on the panel, um, and it, yeah, Italy, but not really Italy because it was uh, FAO, WHO. So Europe, um, yeah, Europe is a country, right? Right. Yeah, the right. country of yeah. Europe. Just like the country of Africa that you told me about the other day. Yes. Uh, no, so what? I mean, what do you what do you think? How, how did how do you think the panel answered that? Um, well, it's complicated and it depends. It was the same except it was different. Um, <laughs> those are the kind of things I would say. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, okay. it wasn't. It wasn't okay. It was no. It really wasn't politicized at all. Oh, 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 with respect to politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and that was. Yeah. I guess like it made me think. Um, you know, I I'd, I'd certainly wait. But now, was there <laughs> was there anybody on the panel from Brazil? There was not. Okay. There so, was not. so yeah. really, yes. Um, and, and what was really surprising, Jeff kind of stepped up and answered it first. Jeff. And Jeff uh, Farber okay. from, 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 Canada. from Canada, from I, the, um, from I, the, the motherland, as it's known. The Great White North? The Great White North. Or, and actually, um, I met someone yesterday, as an aside, from Vermont, who referred to Vermont as Canada's shoe. 
And, and usually I've, I've heard of America's hat, um, but Canada's shoe is, is maybe the, my favorite. I will be utilizing that from here on out. I, I think if, if we had to pick a state that's shoe-shaped, that is in that, maybe Vermont, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts together, together might constitute New, a shoe. Is that, is that all of New England? No, <laughs> no, because you, we've left out Maine, and, um, and New York. Is, well, is New York part of New England? No, I don't, I don't think I don't, so. I don't know. It's, New York, it's, it's right in the name. It's in, it's New York. <laughs> it's, <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, Jeff Jeff answered this and said, uh, you know, there it wasn't nearly as political as watching the and really like the science of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like the conversation around science in in Canada wasn't nearly um, as divisive, and which is really interesting for me as a perspective being Canadian from the outside. I put this lens of reading news from from Canada, and I thought it was really like political in the same way that it was here. Just not not being there, not being like uh, interacting really with with people on a on a daily basis. But I, I just thought it was interesting that 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 um, so many of the panel kind of said no. This that was kind of a unique U.S. thing, which is not. I mean, there's lots of unique U.S. things, um, but. That was, I don't know, it made me, it, it was, it kind of surprised me. Yeah, no, that's, and it's kind of sad, actually, honestly. It's sad. Yeah. <clears throat> what, um, what do you got to cheer me up? What, okay, what, what's next on my list here? Um, do you want to talk about, there was a big announcement oh, that just can happened. We, yeah, I'd love to talk about the big announcement. Okay. Do you, do you want me to tell you what it was? It was about salmonella and poultry, right? Yes. Yes. See, I'm paying attention. I I'm not just I'm not just I'm not just here, you know, as eye candy. I'm I'm actually an equal partner. Okay. Or, let let or the record show the audience tittered at that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or what? Ear candy. <laughs> For those who are not Dang. in the room. Where's my bell? Yeah. God damn it. Sorry, uh, cut that out. I cursed. Yeah. Um yeah, so so I'm very interested to hear. I have been yeah, I can't say too much, but let's just say I've been working on something that's related to the announcement, um, and um, it just it just makes what I it just puts in perspective the thing that I've been working on that's that's should have been due today that it was probably going to get done later this week. So, well, but yeah, but, but the announcement was happening today. Out. Yeah, yeah. So the announcement um, uh, that we're talking to is there's a press release this morning. USDA announces action to declare salmonella an adulterant in breaded stuffed raw chicken products. Um, and so I'll read from the press release here. Food safety is at the heart of everything FSIS does, said Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. That mission will guide us as the important first step. Uh, as this important first step launches a broader initiative to re- reduce salmonella illnesses associated with poultry in the U.S. Um, today's announcement is an important moment in the U.S., Food safety because we were declaring salmonella and adulterant in raw poultry product, in a raw poultry product, said Sandra Askin, um, and saying to her friends like us, uh, USDA Deputy of Undersecretary for Food Safety, this is just the beginning of our efforts to improve public health. Interesting, right? I like that phrase. Just the beginning. I like that phrase. Um, so, so this is a, we we really should talk a little bit about this because an adulterant matter. Right, like the having salmonella in chicken is bad, right? Like it's not good. It's not something that we're we're striving for. But once it's de- deemed to be an adulterant, now just selling that product is illegal, and that changes a lot. It really forces the industry to ensure 
that they are not selling in these, you know, frozen breaded chicken products, um, any sort of um, uh, any salmonella like containing or any salmonella in it. Um, I mean, that's what it says. Uh, the FSIS are we proposing to set the limit at one colony forming unit of CFU of salmonella per gram for these products. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, what that means? Because I'm, I, I don't know, like I, I, this is one where I kind of get it, but I don't, it's not zero tolerance. Right. There is a, there is a tolerance here. So if I've got like a chicken Kiev that say is, you know, 300 grams, there could be 300 CFUs. That, it, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's an interesting choice, right? Yeah. Um, it's not absence. It's, it's honestly, it's not, it's not, it's not a bad rule in that in that sense yeah um but it's not it's not the same as one gram per serving it's not the same as nothing per serving or nothing per gram right um it is a number that the industry can manage against and there's been some work that with that's been done with salmonella and poultry and it turns out the dose matters right um in terms of like setting that like like poultry products that have uh, a lot of salmonella cause more illnesses than poultry products that have maybe the same prevalence but a lower concentration yeah. right and 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 part of that and maybe not so much with the breaded chicken thing but with certainly with other raw poultry a big part of the risk i think is from cross contamination now with the with this particular product that, that and i think the reason why they picked this particular product is that it's been linked to outbreaks over and over again, right? So I, I, it makes it makes a lot of sense. But the choice, the choice. I think there's a couple of interesting choices here. The choice to only focus on that product. Sandy's words that this is the beginning, mm-hmm. right? That to me says other products are potentially on notice, right? Um, and then the picking the picking of a specific number. Um, those are all really interesting, and I think potentially good choices but now do you as part of this thing that i can't talk about i did some looking at the regulations uh-huh. um do you know what have you looked at the part of the poultry rule that talks about what an adulterant is i have not do you want to I, I don't I feel like I, saying, i'll take i'll take i'll have to take a minute yeah, to yeah. find it okay well um, you're finding that let yeah. me tell you what I think is kind of a cool situation where I have a little bit of a link, like my mm-hmm. like my leftover bagel this morning, the link to your to your office. Um, I some of the work that that I was part of um, a, a report we uh, provided to USDA on um, entitled "Food Safety Consumer Research Project: Meal Preparation Experiment on Raw Stuffed Chicken Breasts." I I hear and and I'm going to read everybody's name because I think it's important. This is certainly not not my my work um but there are three folks that we worked with at fsis on this at the time chris bernstein who's no longer there um uh aaron lavalley and carol blake who are um and and then uh sherry cates ellen shoemaker jenna brophy um who were uh ellen was at rti international but is now at nc state and then other people who you'll notice know these names uh ben chapman lisa shelley rebecca golter lydia goodson margaret meg kirchner katherine sander and leanne jacobs all of whom except for lydia who are here at iafp um this week um i i heard that our research was was part of this decision that that showing um demonstrating how consumers were utilizing 
thermometers in these frozen breaded chicken items and some of the inconsistencies with that really um, led provided some justification on on why this uh, this rule rule is being proposed um, and so I thought that was really like I think that's really cool the only other one I can tell you about that I feel really good about is I wrote something um, for this obviously has nothing to do with salmonella but if uh, an issue for the conference for food protection for vomit cleanup that now is exists in the food code annex that based on some of the work that uh, Leanne and, and her group did that I helped with a little bit so it's kind of fun it, like, it's, to look it, at it's, this stuff right? yeah it's it's nice to do stuff do science stuff that's relevant and that results in policy changes, or at least for me, you and I, it's, this is the whole reason that why we're so involved in the conference for food protection, right? Because it is an opportunity for us to interject some science, inject some science into that conversation. I feel the same way about the work that we did on water temperature for hand washing. Yep. I feel the same way about the work that I did uh, with IFT on getting rid of <laughs> what I refer to as getting rid of potentially hazardous right. foods yeah, in yeah. the report entitled potentially hazardous foods. <laughs> um, and, and then also the NACMA challenge study document and stuff like that. So, but to, just to bring it back to poultry for a second. Um, so this is part of. I'm going to put some glasses on here. So this is part of the um, Title Twenty One, uh, Chapter Nine, which is the the part that relates to meat and poultry, right? Um, and it says, uh, and it's it's something 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 uh, three forty two adulterated food. A food shall be deemed adulterated. If, um, uh, let's see, it bears or contains any poisonous or deleterious substance which may render it injurious to health, but in the case, but in case the substance is not an added substance, such food shall not be considered adulterated under this clause if the quantity of such substance in such food does not ordinarily render it injurious to health. Did you follow that? That is a sentence written by a lawyer, if I have ever heard one. Could you want me to read it again? Could you mansplain it to me real quick? Basically, <laughs> what it says is that if there's a substance that's not added, yeah. right? In other words, i.e., we're talking about pathogens, right? Right, right, right. Um, if there's something that we would normally consider to be dangerous, like salmonella, and if it's in food but it's naturally there, they again, these are me. This That's is me using my mansplain words, right? Yeah. Um, um, sh uh, it shall not be considered adulterated if such substance in such food does not ordinarily. What does that mean? Ordinarily render it injurious to health, right? In other words, I think what this is saying is well, since salmonella is normally there and people normally cook their salmonella salmonella is not an adulterant so, yeah right i, think, I mean I that's that's, that's what, my yeah. mansplain non-lawyer yeah. explanation of yeah that. and and so what the rule is saying today is we don't believe that salmonella should be in frozen chicken breaded items that it might be like it, well or we consider it when it's in those foods to actually be injurious right to yes. health yes right so Either one. yeah yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, and you know, to what it, what were Sandy's words again? This is just the start. Um, I, I like where this is going. Yeah. I, and I, you, we, uh, Don and I had a, a, a dinner together, an, an informal dinner with a bunch of our food safety friends, and we did have a discussion about this because we'd heard that this was going to happen. And um, I think that I, I certainly am on the side of the the discussion or debate of 
making this an adulterant matters. Like it certainly forces the the industry to recognize this and and do something about it. And and the you know some of our our uh, our dinner friends had kind of said you know but it, it's going to make these chicken products really really expensive and and maybe we won't even have them anymore right like the I okay learned, I learned I'm, a term I'm, I'm okay with that yeah, I learned a term that I think I know what that is it's catastrophizing mm. it's like if we do this and do this and do this this is how it's gonna how it's gonna go it's like yeah but we still have ground like a one five seven was an adult was named an adulterant in ground beef and and now. You know, all sugar toxin producing E. coli are, but at the time, all of the same things were said. Well, ground beef's going to cost thirty dollars a pound. We won't be able to do this. It'll, you know, prices out of the market, and, and like that didn't happen. What happened was we have almost no illnesses from sugar toxin producing E. coli in, in beef anymore. Not zero, but we've drastically reduced the amount that's there. And FSIS has has publicized how well that's you know not only just the public health side of things but what they see in plants and how that's changed. So this is, to me, extremely positive and exciting. Well, and, and in fact, not only has that happened, but the ground beef industry is not now, or the, the, the beef people from the beef industry have gone out now um, you know, touting their um, amazing accomplishment <laughs> and and telling other industries like the leafy greens industry, well, all you got to do is do N60 testing. Just call it an adulterant, and, and you'll you'll yeah. fix it. So, um, oh, and was this the conversation that we had um, in that lovely building on Saturday? It was. So it, I want to yeah. I want to just give a shout out here um, uh, to uh, Church Brew, churchbrew.com. This is the uh, the Church Brew Works, which is a brewery slash restaurant in an old church. Um, and uh, honestly, if you're if you feel like getting into food service, uh, they are hiring all positions. <laughs> Apply today. It's never it's never a good sign when you come to a restaurant and it says help wanted. Um, and then it's kind of a weird looking building. Uh, there's like there's a door that's got boarded over and there's it's sort of overgrown. But it's a weird um, looking building. But we, it's we a church. A, but we had, but we we had a well, it's a it's a former church. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a we had a, we had a, an, it wasn't I would say. Well, first of all, let me say absolutely positively thanks to you, Ben Chapman for organizing this dinner because I tried to organize a dinner for 10 people in Pittsburgh a week ago and I was unsuccessful I was so I, I gave up um, and Ben uh, because he's just you know get her done um, kind of guy he got Try. her done and uh, and it was it was it was really nice it was it wasn't like the best restaurant I've ever been to but it was really nice and they could accommodate 10 people and the food was really good and yeah. uh, and apparently apparently the beers were also quite good they I were. did not have beers uh, but apparently people got flights of beers and uh, I, they thought that, and one of the people in the audience who shall remain nameless, um, who, do, who I will also say was carded at the restaurant, um, um, and also apparently people thought she was a graduate student at lunch today. Oh, no, I've revealed um, their gender. Sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, but apparently it was good. So, so, so you know, church, church brew, go, go have a beer uh, or a flight um, or uh, apply to work there. <laughs> All right. If we're, if we're plugging things, sure. people who do not sponsor the podcast, but we enjoy things, I am currently wearing, I'm gonna, there's a little bit of uh, visual here. I'm going to take my shoe off quickly. All right. I'm tell people. I'll, I'll see. I'll see your shoe, and I'll match you. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. All right. Oh, you're gonna. Oh, socks. Okay. I got. Clear I got Labs. socks from Clear Labs. Socks from Clear Labs. I I don't know much about Clear Labs, other than they make a really fancy piece of equipment that does a lot of sequencing. They can sequence. You you, you name a sequence style. Shotgun. Hey. They can do it. Uh, whole genome. They got it. And. 
they gave me a pair of socks. Well, I, I do. Wow, man, I'm, I think I'm on their scientific advisory. You should get some socks. And they have not given me any socks. They're they're good folks at Clear Labs. Um, I I do well. I'll, since we're promoting articles of clothing, socks. um, I will promote I will promote Bombas socks. They are not a sponsor. Okay, they're very good socks. For every for every sock that you buy, they give a for every pair that you buy, they give a pair to a homeless center. Um, and also uh, Allbirds shoes. I'm wearing some lovely, fashionable, very light. Um, uh, blue, sky blue, sky blue. Is that sky. North, what, is that uh, Carolina blue? No, no? it's not Carolina okay. blue, but blue, a nice, a nice yeah. shade of blue uh, socks, uh, uh, shoes rather. Yeah. So I like them very much. So and, and we, think, <laughs> I'm not gonna, we're not gonna promote any other articles of clothing. No, I think that's right? it today. That's that. Yeah. Oh, oh, I will say. So we should talk about our t-shirts. Um, oh yeah. Because I am wearing a podcast t-shirt. It is a, the nice red color of the uh, Food Safety Talk t-shirts, but it is not a Food Safety Talk t-shirt. A couple of which we've actually seen in the wild here at the meeting. Um, but this is a a t-shirt from the podcast network, The Incomparable, and I believe it is from a uh, a podcast called Total Party Kill. Uh, which, if you are a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, um, this is a podcast on which they play D and D. So, tell me about your shirt, Ben. I am wearing uh, a T-shirt from Barsook Records. Oh, yep. where it got? Where's my bell? Yep. Damn it! So, which is a Seattle uh, record uh, um, label that uh, uh, produced records for our, our, I guess, our friend, our friend, our friend, our John, friend and podcast guest, and podcast guest John, John Roderick. Roderick. Um, and his band, The Long Winters, but they also uh, are the um, record label for Death Cab for Cutie, uh, amongst other uh, cool bands. Um, so, I'm, I'm uh, right right now. I'm in. I, if I'm not wearing a podcast T-shirt, it's usually a uh, um, some sort of a record label T-shirt. These well, days. and honestly, I mean, it's a Barsook uh, John Roderick uh, Food Safety Talk podcast connection. It's so right it's a, it, it really is a podcast T-shirt, it's podcast even t-shirt. though it's a record T-shirt. It's a podcast T-shirt. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, all right. So, the last thing I wanted to do, I, I want to promote something mainly that no one who will listen to this when it's recorded will be able to go to because it's happening almost immediately after we finish our recording. But, um, it, but I will talk about this on the on the next episode, I'm sure. Uh, the next, I'm, it's all roundtables, all roundtables all the way down, Don. But I'm gonna go to a roundtable, roundtable number eight, which is called "Hold the Phone." The role of celebrity chefs and influencers in food safety messaging. I'm going to go to it because I'm a convener, um, it, <laughs> so it, you don't really have any choice. Yeah, but there's a bunch of speakers that I want to highlight here, um, who who have been around this world of like, and I heard it again today. Um, gosh, I don't know which what talk it was. It might have been in the um, might have been in the flower talk where where someone said all we need to do is like get to social media influencers and give them a million dollars and tell people to stop eating cookie dough. And it's, it's like, it's not, it's not that easy. Um, that, that actually seems like really, really simple to be able to do that. And if it only costs a million dollars to, to fix that, I think we would have fixed it by now. Um, but, uh, I, I just want to highlight Nicole Arnold, Ellen Evans, um, Katie Rose McCullough, Wendy Mim, um, and Katie Weston, uh, are all speaking. Um, but, and, and so Nicole is, uh, soon to be at the Ohio State University, Ellen Evans from the Zero to Five Food Industry Center at Cardiff Met University in Cardiff, um, Katie Rose from the North American Meat Institute, Wendy from USDA FSIS, Katie Weston from the Partnership for Food Safety Education. The one person who I haven't mentioned who I'm extremely excited about 
her being here. Wait, is it is it Chef Pie? It's not Chef Pie, but we that's next on my list. Okay. No, it's it's Chef Chidi Kumar from nice. a really phenomenal restaurant in in Raleigh named Garland. Um, Chidi Chidi's one of like I, I have befriended Chidi over the last couple of years, um, and she is really interested in food safety. Like she, th- this blew me away. On not to obsec Chidi too much. Mm-hmm. But she came to the retail PDG yesterday, and she was like, this is fascinating. Um, and so I, I made the connection with her to invite her to, to IFP because I think it's really important for us as food safety professionals to actually not just say, oh, we need to get like someone who's a celebrity chef to talk about this, but actually let's talk to someone who's like a James Beard like nominee and be like, so why – how hard is this? And, and I think we're going to hear it's, there's a lot of competing issues. Um, and yeah. so she was really excited to, to, to come and, and, and speak, but I really, I'm, this is the one that I'm really looking forward to this week. Yeah. And I would say less important than talking to a celebrity chef. Let's just talk to somebody who's actually like a good chef yeah. that, that works being a chef. That, right. And that's, Judy, that's Judy. So, yeah. Yep. And she used to be, uh, uh, like a rock and roller. She used to travel around the world, uh, um, in a band called Birds of Avalon. So um, she, she was very excited when I told her that I went and saw Rage Against Machine on Friday night here in, in Pittsburgh. So, to, to quote John Roderick, if I was a rock star, you would have heard of me. <laughs> so episode, just a shout out. to I got to go back and re-listen to this episode. So Food Safety Talk, episode 108, Hyperbole and Fire Ants uh, with John Roderick. Oh, so. Yeah. We, we should have a listening session where we just listen to a, one of our podcasts. <laughs> No, we're not doing that. Let's just record it. Um, okay, so I want to talk about Chef Pie and pink sauce, and then mm. I want to open things up for some questions. Sure, let's How's do it. Sound? Yep. Okay, so we did a – we I think we talked about this on the last episode of Food Safety Talk, and we did a Risky or Not episode on um, this uh, – item that you can buy on tiktok sort of mm, well um, you can you could you can you find can, a link to order it on you, tiktok oh Let's you can just, place an order yeah yeah um so uh so th- it's it's an item called pink sauce and not to rehash this too much it, it is a mixture of um <laughs> let's just say it's an unknown mixture with variable composition mm-hmm. that might be composed of some different things <laughs> including dragon fruit Maybe. Maybe. Pink Himalayan salt. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Um, and uh, the, the garlic, likely. Raw, raw garlic. Um, and maybe. maybe. But I think, I think Chef Pie has been on record saying lately that it doesn't include raw garlic. Oh. But. <laughs> Even better. Um, so anyway, this thing gained a lot of attention. I did more interviews on pink sauce over the last couple of weeks than anything else since like really in the last year like people have been really really excited about pink sauce on on the internet mainly because it it, it was just an odd like thing it's it's just in the tiktok videos it is drastically pink um well, and, and it really, it really did like sort of light up social media, right? Yeah. And and I gave a talk at, to the at the student PDG meeting uh, this past weekend, and I asked the I made a I opened with a joke about pink sauce, and uh, and about half the people in the room had heard of it and knew what I was talking about. So yeah. it's even even within that relatively young demographic, it hasn't permeated. Uh, but but there was a lot. I mean, there was talk about it on the um, the the good Discord. I believe there was discussion of this as well as some other places. So. 
Yeah, it even made oh, the good Slack. Sorry, the not good the, Slack. The good also on the Discord. Yeah, but it also made um, uh, Love It or Leave It. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot going on with this. Um, and Don, just you know, I think we talked about this before. We both have tried to order this. Don is getting like communication from directly from Chef Pie. I get well, nothing. Well, it's going. It, let's just say it's going into my junk folder, and I, I'm finding it and taking it out. I, I check my junk folder every day. I get nothing. I, I hope to have three bottles of this on on route. It's probably all sitting in my office, exploded. I, I'm not sure you. I I I it was supposed to come on the Thursday before yeah. I left. I'm kind of glad it hasn't come because wherever it is, it's probably not going to be great. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So so I'm I'm we'll link to this in show notes, but I want to read to the most recent sort of thing that I've seen that that puts this together, and it's a Fox Seven. Um, a story from like Austin, Texas. I, I'm sure it's like a, you know, a reprint from somewhere all over the place. Um, but the, the this like it had rebounded in the viral world where it got viral, and then then it got like, oh, maybe this is unsafe and it's and it's risky. And then there's been a backlash from Chef Pie. And so one of the things that she had put on the label, this isn't uh, FDA approved, and then. Um, then she said, um, pink sauce is made in an FDA approved commercial facility here in Miami, Florida. Um, and then, uh, she went and said, what do you mean FDA approved? I don't sell medical products. The pink sauce is not a medical product. Pink sauce doesn't contribute to your health. She argued in in a live video and that caused, which I thought was hilarious. I don't know if you saw this, uh, it trended on Twitter, put the F in FDA, um, and so, which is hilarious because I've, for those of you who followed the conversation over the last little while, we talked about an article that was in Politico that also got the world of food safety up in arms where it was like, put the F in FDA. That didn't matter on Twitter. There was no trending when the Politico, when Helena's, uh, Bob Miller's article came out. Um, but once it started talking, you know, once Pink Sauce got involved, then it was put the F, the F in FDA. F stands for Federal Drug Administration. Federal right? Drug Administration, yeah. yeah. So, so can I can I read to you some of the messages I forwarded oh, to oh, you? Please. Um, so the first one, uh, which comes, I think it's from. What's it from? It's it's from anyway one of these um, uh, mailing uh, programs, which you have to kind of pay attention to and tweak. So the the opening line to this message is, or oh, it's it the 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 uh, two line says, "Pink sauce customers!" Exclamation mark. The first thing you see is some text that says, add a catchy header. <laughs> that was Which, my favorite. That's, the, that's the, 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 the placeholder text. It was just, when Don sent me this, the only thing I sent back to him was add a catchy header. Like, it's, it's all I read. Yeah, it's not we'll, all I read, but it's we'll, what we'll, I focused on. We'll do this in reverse chronological order. So this is the most recent message from Chef Pie that I've received. Thank you for your loyalty and patience as we bring pink sauce to life. Oh. <laughs> that's a little scary. Um, <laughs> Please rest assured that our pink sauce team is hard at work ensuring that our pink, and every time she writes pink sauce, it's capitalized. Uh, our pink sauce is safe and abiding by all food safety standards and guidelines. Furthermore, we are dedicated to providing our current and future customers with clear, unambiguous, and accurate labels and descriptors of the pink sauce and its ingredients that meet and exceed FDA guidelines. We look forward to fulfilling your order soon and delivering you the freshest pink sauce. Thank you. And if you need me, I'll be in the kitchen with Love Chef Pie. Um, and then the uh, one before that um, reads, um, 
new update. Now that time they at least did use Catchy the header, header. correctly. Catchy right. Header. Um, uh, Dear Pink Sauce supporters. Oh, and this is written all in caps, by the way. I with, won't. Sh- I won't shout it to you. But, but it's all in caps with like kind of a cool, a cool computery font. Compu- yeah. yeah, like uh, like Atari. Like, a, like yeah, like an old school Atari font. Yeah. yeah. Game over. Um, think like Space Invaders, right? Yeah. Um, dear Pink Sauce supporters, um, we are working to overcome all issues. <laughs> we are working to come all issues. We are working to overcome all issues. <laughs> yep. With the surrounding allegations and claims against the Pink Sauce, comma, we want to take the time to ensure each customer's safety. It feels like it was. This has been put into Google Translate. Yeah. And then come back out. We are working, comma, meticulously, to ensure that we have no further delays in shipment. Period. We will be updating you on a daily basis. Well, that hasn't really happened, but okay, whatever. We ask our customers to remain supportive and patient as this tempor- as as this temporary. Let me read that again. We ask our customers to remain supportive and patient as this temporary. <laughs> okay. We feel free to reach out by email if you have any questions or concerns. Thank you. And then there's and there's yeah. more. You want to read the rest yeah. of it? Yeah. There's, so that that's the that's the kind of the graphic, okay? And then there's actual text below it, that. Yeah. And I'll I'll just excerpt some of this. We have begun communications with the Food and Drug Administration and Florida Department of Agriculture. Good, good idea. Peers. Yeah. And we are waiting on approval by Wednesday, July 27th. Not only that, but brand packaging, labeling, etc., is being updated for preciseness. Um. We will, and there's a couple other things, but I'll skip forward here. We will guarantee efficiency with the quality control of the pink sauce product. What does that mean? Um, I mean, the quality control will be very efficient. Yeah, yeah. It's guaranteed. Um, Yeah, lastly, our pink sauce does not contain, quote, raw garlic. We will continue to make an effort on our part for errors and miscommunications. We will not respond to negativity. False reports and claims. No negativity. They're not responding. So okay. the, let me let me tell you some of the response that I received from Pink Sauce because I did a couple interviews and then apparently when I said it was risky, the the uh, the journalist asked um, the chef pie about whether she thought it was risky. And I need to find the exact while quotes. You're, while you're looking for that, I will read from the same message that Ben was just reading from. Please understand that you are purchasing with free will, and Flavor Crazy Inc. does not indulge in the intention of promoting inadequate products. Um, uh, all, this, all content in this website is intended only for residents of the United States, and all references to product of Flavor Crazy Inc., Flavor Crazy Inc., in quotes, apply to U.S. products only. Access to and use of this site are subject to the following terms and conditions and all applicable laws. You may browse this site for personal entertainment and information. However, please do not distribute, modify, transmit, or revise the contents of this site. If if somebody is revising the contents of your site, you've been hacked. Um, (laughs) Been hacked. Hacked. Um, Hacked. and uh, anyway, it's uh, n- neither Flavor Crazy Inc. or any of its affiliates shall be liable for any direct, indirect, incidental, consequential, or punitive damages arising out of access to or use of any content of this site or any sites hotlinked to this site. Any communication or material you post or transmit to this website over the internet is and will be treated as non-confidential and non-proprietary. Anyway, it goes <laughs> kind of goes on from there. Oh, all right. So I did an interview with Insider. 
um, magazine. I talked to, I think it was Connor Perrette. And so they, 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 the journalists asked Chef Pie about whether, you know, you know, this, this guy, NC State, thinks your stuff's risky. What do you think? Um, here are some quotes, direct quotes, which I think are amazing. Quote, I am literally being tortured because I won't give answers to people in regards to my safety as a business owner. So, so Ben, I think Chef Pie means she's being figuratively I, I tortured. So. Although I think these days literally means figuratively, figuratively. because yeah. of common usage. Yeah. Um, Pie told Insider, I have the right to reserve my silence, so that triggered them to dig deep to harass me. I think that was in reference to me. Probably. Um, Everybody knows you're a great harasser. <coughs> Digging deep. Um, I, oh, yeah. Well, my quote was, I don't have a lot of confidence in the food safety aspect of what's going on without knowing more about the product. And, and Chef Pie is literally being tortured because she won't give answers about that. Oh. Um, I'm a quote. I'm a creator. I'm a painter. I'm an expressional artist. And pink sauce. She's a toker, a smoker, a smoker. Midnight, midnight joker. <laughs> yeah. And pink sauce is an expression. Don, it's not a food. It's not a sauce. It's an expression. It's an expression of love, I think. Um, also, she said, um, I'll find this uh, here. A ba something about being. Uh, they also criticized Jesus. Um, <laughs> and look what happened to him. What, yeah. <laughs> I will quote, I will not let someone that doesn't understand my entire mission take it away through ignorance, which I think is directed at me. She said, yeah, Ben, hey, you're, you're ignorant. You, you goddamn yeah. PhD. So hey, they you. ridiculed Jesus. Who am I? You know? I don't know. Let, let, let he who is without sin, Ben, yeah. cast the first stone. So, oh, man. I felt like that really escalated. I think, I think, I think you yeah. kind of triggered her. All I said was, I want to know what the pH is of it. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, there, was a whole, there was a whole bunch oh. going on with pink sauce. Um, she, she uh, I guess the last thing I'll say, she also said she will, quote, 100% be abiding, be abiding by FDA standards. She will be. That's that's good. That's good. I, I I think it doesn't really matter whether she chooses to or not. Um, she has to, or she's in violation of the law. Yeah. I'm true. just saying. I'm not a lawyer, Ben, but she she told Insider she quote grew a relationship with Dragon Fruit, the ingredient <laughs> in Pixar. I can't I can't stop Tom. Um, so, all right. We, we wish her well, Ben. We're here to help. We we want to promote entrepreneurs. We do, but I, we you know we we don't want to figuratively or literally torture anyone. No. But we do want them to make food safe. Yeah, and and I you know I, I think one of the things that really made this story more interesting in the the world is that it's the first time I think there's been like this shared event where people saw food being sold on TikTok and it just blew up, right? And that food being sold on social media is not nothing new. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. It, food being sold in parking lots out of bags happened before social media existed. Um, and but, but this, I think, just grabbed everybody's attention uh, for a week or so. And then who knows? Well, maybe we'll hear more about it. Maybe we won't. Okay. So... Should we should we open things up to we we, we did yeah, some let's do it. Yeah. yeah we did some like yeah. food safety talk stuff okay so here's how this is gonna work I'm gonna move some stuff around I will share the microphone with our um, uh, with a guest anyone who wants to ask a question. 
please come on up. And this is the part where we will make eye contact with you. Uh, well, awkwardly. Awkwardly, yeah. I mean, we do everything awkwardly. But if there's a question, if anybody wants to introduce themselves. Um, or remain anonymous. Or remain anonymous. You don't, you don't, need, to, you don't need to obsec yourself. But, yeah, come on up and, and ask, ask a question. And, and if you don't want to come up and ask a question, it's well, okay. Well, then we'll just ask you questions. Because it's our wait, podcast. Wait, um, do we do we have um, do we have a, a report from the executive board? Oh. <laughs> <I> would, <laughs> that, the, that would be a no. That would be a no. Uh, I do, I do want the record to show a, a member of the executive board who shall remain anonymous, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but who whose whose name is often invoked on this podcast um, oh, uh, has. Uh, that's good. Because yeah, it's multiple multiple people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is in the room, but is is refusing yeah. to give a, a an update from the executive board. And for those of you who are <laughs> listeners to the podcast who don't know what I'm talking about, at the IAFP annual meeting, which is where we are, it is a tradition that board members will, will go around from uh, group to group, from professional development group to committees, um, and give a report on the, the health and the status of the organization. And the, the kind of the joke is that they have to give it multiple times, and we have to hear it multiple times. But we, but it's a tradition, and so we keep doing it. <laughs> I feel that we have really cemented our place at IAFP because now we have a board liaison. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's an official board liaison. We have an unofficial board liaison. I've, I'm feeling very good about that. Um, so no, we won't, uh, we, we, we won't, uh, m- mention any names at all, but, but we will accept any questions. Anybody want to come talk? Okay. Well, you have to come over here. We, we heard, yep. we heard at the, actually, so while, while, uh, the, the, the listeners coming to the microphone, I do want to also <clears throat> give a shout out to IAFP for the stuff that they have been doing around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one of the, and, and the, uh, also it's, it's the, the acronym, the, I guess the preferred acronym or an additional attribute to that acronym is accessibility. And one of the points <clears throat> that was, that was made at that meeting, which I think is an amazing point. And as the, as the son of somebody who it doesn't hear very well, um, the, the idea that we should all use a microphone when we're in meetings to, to, talk is good and again famously Merlin Mann friend of the podcast um, uh, has said accessibility helps everyone and so the idea is if you're at a meeting and you're in a big room don't say like I'm sure I've said in the past um, it's okay I have a loud voice because using a microphone actually helps everybody more than just shouting with a loud voice now on this podcast using a microphone helps because if you're sitting on the other side of the table the listeners can't hear you so anyway with that please um Okay, so weren't you talking? Am I supposed to introduce myself? I don't want to. No, you can be anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can. You can. Oh, you can say your name. You can say your. You can say your. I know. What is my fake name? It's um. Deep New England. Deep New England. Deep New England. Right. Right. Okay. So um, here's my question. So weren't you talking about Plato earlier? And what did you say about Plato? Do you remember? Said that there has been some chicken toxin producing E. coli illnesses attributed to. Homemade Play-Doh. Um, Homemade Play-Doh. Yeah. Okay. Because yep. I, I um, separately from that, like a few months ago even, I was looking for something for a gift for a little kid, and I saw Play-Doh, and I saw that it, um, uh, I think, I'm not sure what this says on the ingredient label, but it may or may not say flour. It may say flour, but it doesn't say gluten is in here, so if you have an allergy, don't eat it. And so if wheat is in Play-Doh, then they, it could be um, making people sick using real Play-Doh. Right, unless they do something my, to it. My too. recollection is that Play-Doh is made from cornstarch. Um, but that would be, 
I'm sorry. Yeah, well, here, I've got it right here. I went the exact ingredients in Plato Classic, and this is from Plato.Hasbro.com. says, it's primarily a mixture of water, salt, and flour. Plato Classic compound is not a food item and is not manufactured in a facility that manufactures food. And I'm thinking, kids are putting this in their mouth, for sure. Um, it does contain wheat. It doesn't contain peanuts, peanut oil, nuts, or any milk byproducts, but it does contain wheat, not intended to be eaten. So I think it should say right on the front, contains wheat. We know you're not supposed to eat it, but we know not kids Not intended are going to, to be, but in their kids, for gosh well, sakes. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking it sort of relates to the, the salmonella in the ch breaded chicken, like um, somehow, but I forget how it <laughs> I was thinking. It's intended to be, it, well, that chicken is intended to be eaten, right? And so is, and Plato was not intended to be eaten, but just because they say it's not intended to be eaten. Doesn't mean it's not going to be eaten, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. for sure. No, I think you make a really good point. It's not something I thought about before. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. I'll just read from um, an abstract from, uh, you know, because we're good at Googling things. Um, on, on the fly. This is in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. Did you find this one, no. Don? Oh, okay. Send me the link oh, when no. you're done. Uh, an allergic reaction to Play-Doh in a child with wheat hypersensitivity from uh, 2005. And so uh, the patient is a two-year-old girl with multiple food hypersensitivities, milk, egg, peanut, and wheat, mild intermittent asthma, allergic rhinitis, and atopic dermatitis. Um, and uh, she had symptoms. Um, the, although speci the specific ingredients in Play-Doh are proprietary and not disclosed, the Hasbro company website states, and again, this is in 2005, children who are allergic to wheat gluten may have an allergic reaction to this product, which I had no, that, until Deep New England brought that up, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, the ingredient information and allergy warning is indicated only on the company's website and not on the product packaging. Yeah, that's that's uh, incredible to me that they wouldn't yeah. just their lawyers wouldn't say mm, maybe we should maybe put this on. The yeah, way. that's a that's a bad decision in my opinion. Yeah, and I did I found the article, Ben. Thanks. Cool. So so that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, Can thanks. I, does anyone else have a question? Because I have another one, a different one. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. So this is a different one that's been. I think I actually I might have talked to emailed you about it, Don. I can't remember. Oh yeah, after the class, after the class I took from you guys, basic microbiology, Rutgers, right? Was that it? No, it wasn't big. Remember the one I took from you at Rutgers. I, Remember? I teach a lot of classes. It was online. It was online. It was with your colleague, whose name I can't remember, who wrote a textbook. Carl right? Matthews. Yeah. Yes. So, sorry. It was, it was our food micro class yes. offered yeah, through okay. OCPE. Yep. So, one thing that I'm still struggling with, and maybe other people are too, or maybe I'm the only one, but Clostridium botulinum. So, it needs to be heated to be activated to start producing the toxin. Is that correct? So, it's, it's, it's complicated. And it, <laughs> and it depends. And it sorry. Um, so... The issue, the issue is that um, Clostridium botulinum spores are what we're worried about. And spores generally, well, if you take a Clostridium botulinum spore and you heat it as you would in a product that you're cooking, that will induce the spore to germinate. Now, it is also possible that a spore just sitting there may spontaneously germinate. And, and the, the science of understanding German, the, the science of sporulation, what causes Clostridium botulinum to make spores, is very well understood. The science of what causes Clostridium botulinum spores to germinate is less well understood. And because if you think about it from the point of view of the organism, it's actually really a complicated thing because it has to make this structure that is essentially not alive and yet turn into a structure that becomes alive. And so it has to be incredibly resistant, but at the same time has to also be able to 
turn that non-living spore into a living cell. Um, and so the, the, short, the short answer is heat will definitely induce a spore to germinate, um, but also other chemicals may also, if they're present in the right concentration, may induce a spore to germinate. So I hope that wasn't too much of a non-answer. No, no, that was good. And so my question, my follow-up question then, is for restaurants, like I teach food safety to food service workers, um, the food service workers, not managers, um, although I have taught managers before. And this has come up, like when people in a restaurant make garlic and oil mixtures, garlic and herbs and oil, and say they don't heat it up, say they just chop up the garlic, blah, 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 it's not heated. Um, they definitely shouldn't be storing it, of course, overnight at room temperature, but I mean, how long can they, it's, is it immediately unsafe? No, but how long can they store it, like at the table, at the restaurant? And well, I, I think uh, the, the short answer, again, once again, is I'm sorry, <laughs> it's complicated and it depends. Um, I don't know if anybody's actually studied that. What I will say is that I think as a general rule of thumb, we can say, and we tell consumers two hours at room temperature. I think from, in terms of the food code, time is a public health control, four hours at room mm -hmm. temperature is fine. So my, and again, to be, and, and you know, and, and this, is, this is like the science of risk, right? It's one thing to say something where somebody might get mildly sick, um, although you can die from salmonella too, right? But, but botulism is so serious um, that I think we just try to err on the side of caution and say, I would say in that, in that instance, the advice would be four hours at room temperature and then it should be refrigerated. And then again, only refrigerated for you know, so long before it's discarded. Mm -hmm. Just to be, to be conservative. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is for much of um, what I've seen with those products, the garlic and oil products, it's often roasted garlic. So there was some sort of heat treatment that happened pre-adding garlic. But not to say that there isn't stuff with raw as well out there, but I, you know, I think the ones that I remember that led to the botulism outbreaks um, back in the sort of mid-90s were roasted yeah. first. So it got that like wake up shock. Ah, uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Other other questions? Any, anything else? Anybody else want to talk about? Come on up. I will. I will pass you the Starbucks microphone cup. There you go. Yeah, for the decaf microphone. Ah. We talked about we talked about this in the pre-show. Um, we are using some very fancy um, uh, microphone holders. They are, uh, I believe, a Starbucks tall mug, um, a cup, um, to which Ben has inserted um, some microphones. And it probably has somebody's name written incorrectly yeah. on the side. Um, so uh, actually, uh, do, you, do you want to introduce yourself, or do you want to remain anonymous? Give yourself a I'll, I'll code I'll go name. I'll semi-anonymous. I, I, I think my I think my, my my deep name was deep in the heart of Texas. That's so. right. <laughs> Yes. Um, but uh, I had two questions also. Uh, the first one is, had you guys heard any more about uh, the Lucky Charms thing? Because, you know, I, I feel like maybe Pink Sauce, like, obliterated Lucky Charms as a social media topic. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything to, to update on Lucky Charms as far as I know. Well, I was talking to somebody about it. But, yeah, nothing, nothing specific comes to mind. Yeah. No, the only thing, and I don't think we shared this on the show, the only thing I heard was that there was someone at a – um, a federal health agency who talked a little bit about this and thought, and maybe I did tell you this, Don, but thought that um, th their guess was that it was um, because it's a food that so many people eat and it mapped out um, community spread of norovirus uh, around the same time that it might be just a correlation with that. But, but that was like 
a guess. Like there wasn't anything sort of uh, official. But I do know um, every once in a while I'll get a little update from um, Patrick at I Was Poisoned that there continue to be more and more illnesses um, roll in. And I did hear, again, through sort of, you know, fact channels and, and rumors that um, that the, you know, uh, I believe it's General Mills, the makers of Lucky Charms, they're really like struggling to figure out what's happening. Like there's, it's not like they're, they're not ignoring it, but they, it seems like there, there's, um, there's a lot of dead ends. Um, and so, yeah, so that, I think that's the only sort of update yeah, that I've and, heard. And I'm when, when I Google Lucky Charms and Norovirus, there's an article from uh, Insider from back from in April, uh, which basically attributes that statement to CDC saying, yeah. um, what does it say? Uh, it's possible that the reports of stomach troubles could have nothing to do with Lucky Charms. Outbreaks of norovirus, which causes the stomach bug, have been on the rise as well, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And then the only other thing I wanted to ask was, uh, in, in terms of the the, uh, the announcement that today about the about the breaded chicken, um, I, I work for a third party lab, and I'm just curious from the idea of I, I didn't realize there was a a, a one CFU per gram limit on there. So like if we got in a sample like that, we ran a screen on it, screen comes back positive, do an enumeration, you get less than a, less than one CFU per gram. That's saleable. <clears throat> It's not in violation of the rule. It's not adulterated. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it. I I think that's one where the adulteration, the adulteration really matters from a legal sense, right? Like, like it, it doesn't matter if anybody got sick. Um, so, well, but on the other hand, if there is an outbreak linked to that product, no matter what your lab results are, you can bet that the agency is going to put a lot of pressure on that company to recall the product because it doesn't it doesn't matter what one test showed. It matters that there are people out there getting right. sick, right? And epidemiologically linked. Right. And I think that I think that's the like I think that's the important part about adulterant, right? Like if it is above that threshold, it would it'll be recalled. Right, like even without any illnesses. Right, um, right. So that that's the like I, I think that's where um, where FSIS is is talking about driving the risk to consumers down. So, I, but again, this is like the announcement was, and you know, for those who don't follow the food safety policy or any policy workings of the U.S., the announcement was we intend to create a rule, and the draft rule is going to hit the federal register later this fall. And this is what we're proposing that dra that draft law will be, and then there'll be an open comment period before we have a final law. So there's like a lot of, I think a lot of time in between what they're doing today, and and what happens when when you're doing, um, when you're working with someone to do uh, analysis of product on on what that actually looks like and how they handle it. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure right now, like essentially, if they came to us today, we would basically run a screen and that'd be it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll say too, like this is was sort of a thing that I didn't. This is not ever. I, I don't know if I ever took a class in food law, but this is something that I've become aware of in my career. Is that the rulemaking process is incredibly slow, right? Like the agency will tell you what they're going to do, and then they're going to tell you what they're that they're, they're they'll tell you that they're going to have a proposed rule. And then there's going to be a proposed rule, and then there's going to be a response period for the proposed rule, and then they might have a tentative final rule, and they'll take more comments. And it really, and it, and it does, 
I mean, again, folks in the industry will complain that they're, you know, that they're being picked on or they're being, they don't, they don't think that they need to do this because it shouldn't be an adulterant or whatever. Um, but they get plenty of time again. And we saw this with, uh, um, Food Safety Modernization Act, right? And we're still, we're still, uh, ag water, you know, is, is still eventually coming, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, that made me think about the timeline on one that Don and I have talked about a lot. And as we do, um, you know, provide support and guidance for the frozen food industry, there's FDA has had draft guidance for the industry, control of listeria monocytogenes and ready-to-eat foods in draft form since January 2017. So, so it's like, and that's just guidance. That's not even a rule. And, and, you know, there's been a, you know, a comment period. It was, it appeared in the federal register. Um, but that, that is still like still the way it is. Right. So it, it takes a long time. And I even think about that, like early in my, um, uh, professor career at NC state, I, I started right around the time where people started talking about FISMA and, and we're still like, that was in 2008. 2009 right so we're 13 years later and and we still are just seeing some of those rules come come out in in final form with effective dates that are still in in the future so it's not a certainly not a fast process at all but it is exciting when it's like okay we're gonna do something like let's throw down salmonella in these frozen um you know chicken breaded chicken products and and do something like drastic like this will be an adulterant so at some point in the future this it could really it could really matter and i think it opens the door right i mean i think san i mean again we're doing a little bit of criminology with with uh, sandy eskin's comments saying uh, you know something something about opening the door i mean it's it's a wedge right and i think i hope the agency continues to drive it forward um because people shouldn't get sick from this stuff and again the industry poultry industry is going to complain but you know that's okay Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, others? I'm actually going to steal one from um, earlier because I was also at the COVID-19 panel, which was more, as we tend to do, more focused on COVID-19 and not so much like how did it affect food or the like the, the supply chain of that. But but somebody to bring up a good point, and I want to, you know, based on like your risk communication work that you've done. Wait, did you? Sorry to interrupt. Did you want to introduce yourself or oh, yeah, ran anonymous? Do you say? Do you say this here? Yes. <laughs> also known as two, two bit shy. shy. Two bit shy. Yeah. <laughs> two bit um, shy of what? I, it's, it's an old band name. Oh, okay. Band name, yeah. But I mean, like that should be like it, it's always like two bit shy of a. You know, like one, 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 one. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the, uh, the, the thing that we went by is like when you were a musician, you are always too bit shy of money and sanity. Got it. Oh, okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. Yep. Um, you really distracted me. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, there, I, it's, it's our time to ask you questions too. I want to know. Right. Oh, wait, sorry. Um, oh, COVID. Yeah. COVID. Yeah. So COVID and, and the, one of the questions that was asked and unfortunately it wasn't my question. Um, but the question was, you know, this really uh, brought up the issue of there is not enough base science knowledge. Like when, mm. when, when, people, when, when you know, it initially started and scientists were coming out, epidemiologists were coming out and saying, hey, we know nothing about this. So right now we're making decisions based on 
what we predict based on a different serotype of this virus, and we're probably wrong, and it's probably gonna change multiple times. Like they were saying that at the very beginning. And all of us who have science backgrounds, all of us that understand how science work, we're like, yeah, okay, that, that, that's fair. But everybody, you know, the general population got so upset that the messaging changed so much that they lost trust in CDC, in scientists, in the government, in, you know, everything, everything else. And so the question was, how do we raise that base science knowledge? How do we get people to a point where they, where they're more like us, you know, who are in the scientific community, who understand that that's, that's how science works. Where do we start? How do we do that? You know, obviously we want to start young, but at the same time, we still have so many people that aren't young. How do we get them involved and to try to help fix that problem so when this inevitably happens in the future, we don't have the same recalcitrant reaction that we had this, this, with this pandemic? Yeah, well, this reminds me of the quote that I can never remember from Paul Mead talking about outbreaks, right, uh, and epidemiology. And if we, if, we get, if we pick the wrong food, we're too early. And if we pick the right food, we're too late. Um, you and got so, it right. Like, I just wanted to say, I, we, the, this, we're terrible at this. Like, it's an ongoing bit, right? It's um, not but you gotta, item, but it was close. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. it. Like, you actually did it right that time, and I would never do it right. Yeah. So yeah, so how do you how do you make decisions in the face of uncertainty? How do you communicate to people that science is a process? It's not that that gives you the facts, right? I mean, I guess the I mean it, the pandemic has been horrible and it's been devastating, and you know I mean we're still we're still like one. I keep putting it in nine eleven equivalents, right? We're like one nine eleven death set of 9-11 deaths per week or something still in this country um, and yet you know imagine look at how much the events of nine again tragic events of 9-11 transformed this country and we're experiencing that every week or every couple of weeks um, and whatever nothing 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 happening right so uh, what was my what was my point with all this um you know I am still I'm really if I set aside the, the personal and emotional stuff this is an amazing virus and this is an amazing opportunity that we have to learn stuff but and again thankfully scientists have found the resources to do the work i mean we've been involved in doing some work i've got a couple of posters here at the meeting with the stuff that we're doing with bacteriophage 56 as a surrogate um ben i don't I, let me just let, ben can give more details but we've got a collaborator now who's who uh, is interested in airborne studying airborne viruses um because ultimately that's the that's the piece that's i think critical is like yeah okay as, as a guy that studies hand washing and cross-contamination um and who takes money from big hand sanitizer um, that's all great yeah wash your hands sanitize your hands but that's not how we're really going to stop the virus we're going to stop the virus by understanding how it spreads we're going to stop it by wearing masks we're going to stop it by uh, improving improving indoor ventilation, vaccination, right? Um, so we're learning a lot. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the, you, you know, it's a perennial problem. And again, it's part of the reason why Ben and I do the podcast is we are interested in talking to people, normal people, and none of you are normal because you're all, you're all here no, in the room here, and you're yeah. here at this meeting. Sorry, no offense, because um, there's not really any lay people here. But but talking to norm, some of the, some of our audience members are normal people who just have an interest in science and in risk and food safety, and we we uh, we enjoy we enjoy talking with them and explaining stuff to them. Um, in a way that they can understand it and trying really hard not to dumb it down, right? Uh, but, that, but that's all I got, right? Like I, I think that you, what you put your finger on a key problem that I don't, and I don't, I don't, and I don't, I don't, I don't know 
it's certainly not easy, and I don't even know if it's possible. Now, maybe again, we can talk to people that understand communication. You know, people that are really smart. I mean, and Ben, and ben to a certain extent, is a is a risk communicator. <laughs> to a certain Sorry. extent. Well, but what? It's really smart not, to a certain extent, is what I thought not, that was but here, going. But here's the thing. Bill Hallman has a degree in psychology, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. And yeah. Peter Sandman is a journalist, yeah. um, uh, and they're both they both understand people, and and you do too. But but you come at it from a, and certainly you're again you're certainly better you're better at it than me. We only have to count up the number of Pink Sauce interviews um, that he did versus me. Not that I'm angry, um, uh, but but it's hard. And then uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, uh, go no, ahead, Ben. No, no, and I think I, so. I, I think we um, we were in a situation, specifically here in the U.S., where the science got really politicized, and it was the wrong people talking about the science, and it was trust the science, and the science will tell us this. There's a lot of sort of politicians that weighed into to that situation that then made it really easy to like sort of flip a switch when when it didn't go right or as planned and 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 and, you know they're like again not to get super political but you you saw with the with the former president the past president um uh who 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 was like right there talking like about his you know his own agency um and and they didn't really know what they were talking about and he was looking to other outside experts and that um that matters, right? Like when 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 um, when leaders sort of flip and and don't trust the the agencies they have around them. That is, I think it's really easy to to demonstrate how um, how the the public and a certain portion of the public can can also flip really 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 quickly. And it's happened a lot in in food safety as well. Like we um, a really good case study on this is on BSE in the UK back in the mid-1990s where it, that became a political um, issue where you had politicians saying that they, you know, basically um, it wasn't a risk, uh, that, that everybody should be eating beef and, and not like missing the science part of there isn't zero risk and there is a risk and being able to put that into context. Um, and so I think that, I think a lot of it is what, what Don and I try to do with this and with the media interviews that we do is try to not answer the question of, you know, what people should do, but but to talk about risks, and and the more that we we wade into the uncertainty of of that, um, hopefully that that changes the the un- understanding of science as a process, and that there are no definitives, that that new data um, sometimes really really matters, and new data sometimes doesn't doesn't matter. In, in the decisions that, that we make. And um, and I think, I, yeah, I don't, you, you asked such a good question. I don't, I don't know the, the answer to, because I, I, I agree with your, your comment that I don't think it's as simple as, but we need to teach better or stronger science in school and, and just have the generations sort of change. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was like, <laughs> when I was in school, I really enjoyed science, and there was a bunch of kids that were in my class that hated it, mm-hmm. and it, just teaching more science isn't going to help. Like they, they, it just it wasn't what they were interested in, or what they what like they didn't have an affinity for the process at all. Right. Um, as an aside, um, I, I am uh, like 
I guess there, there are some positives. I have another podcast t-shirt that Don also, I think, has the same one um, from Accidental Tech Podcast that says ATP on it. And I was at a brewery in West Virginia last week, and I went up to the bartender, and she's like, ATP. Yeah, yeah, she's like adenosine triphosphate, and I was like, "No, but that's really good." Like, yeah, that's a really deep pull, and I didn't expect you to say that. And I was like, "No, it's just a nerdy tech podcast." Um, now, how, how surprised would you have been if bartender said, "Accidental"? Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would have been hilarious. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, I think your comment, I think the comment that was in the roundtable uh, today is is something that. Um, that I've thought about a lot over the last two and a half years. And it's, it's, it's about building trust in science all the time, like not in pandemic times. Um, but even, you know, I, I, I've, always, I've always thought about like the importance of telling the stories about, you know, food safety inspection, not when there's an outbreak. Like, like the, like those, when things are going well, like being able to talk about why it's going well. And, and we don't do a lot of that in, in our world. We, we, we focus on outbreaks we focus on recalls and we focus on events because they are not the norm, but we don't talk a lot about the norm. And I think that, you know, you can magnify that across all different disciplines of, of science. And I think it's a, I think it's a big, it's a big issue, um, you know, for us. And it's, it's really interesting even now, you, know, you probably have all experienced this. Like I've, I've had friends recently who have had COVID and they're like, similar to what we hear about foodborne illness, we're like, well, I know where I got COVID. Like I got it from this person who this and this. And it's like, well, maybe like me, but there you, you've been exposed to lots of different times based on what you just shared. You know, you point to this one event and, and I think that's part of it, right? Like people are often trying to simplify the, the complexity of, of just infection and science. And, and it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not super simple. But, we don't know. But how many people have you talked to that have, that have got COVID who said, and I have no idea where I got it. Right. 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 The so that's even harder. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. and just for the record, um, the that official Paul Mead quote that appears in a publication, Ben. Oh. Are you familiar? Did I write it? Um, it it's well, I don't know. Uh, it's by three people, um, two of whom I recognize. And you can tell me um, it's Chapman. Saul Erzdozame and oh, Powell, 2017. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. if you ever want to find that quote, that's a, yeah, it's, look it's in your look right. in your CV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's good. Excellent. <laughs> we'll we'll link to that in show notes to help us find it in the future, perhaps. Okay. Um, is it, is okay. Because another question that I had. Um... Sorry, we'll fix this in post. Right, you'll fix this in post. Oh, well, you know what? Well, what what I will say though, speaking of ATP, um, if you want a good podcast listening app, 
Um, I suggest overcast uh, because one of the overcast features is, well, you can, of course, change it to whatever speed you want. If you listen at more than 1x, you're a monster. I'm looking at you, Mike Batts, um, who we, sadly is not here at the meeting today. But it also has um, like smart speed, which will shorten silences. So, so you can sit there and, and not say anything. Um, and if you're listening in overcast, it'll, you know, it, it does kind of take away the cadence sometime in the, you know, the, the beats and the punchlines, but it, it does save you a little bit of time. Exactly. <laughs> well, I guess, um, you know, one of the things that I, I think about a lot, but I'm in, you know, I'm in the regulatory industry. Like, that's what, that's what I do. And so what, what are things that, you know, everybody was blindsided by this. You know, we shouldn't have been because epidemiologists have been saying this since a long time. You know, I read a book that was written in 2012 that said it's not if, it's when. This is going to happen, you know. Right. <laughs> so, like, we should we sh we shouldn't have been blindsided by it, but we were. Well, well, I, and I'll just say for the record, um, Mike Osterholm was talking about this stuff ten years ago, and I really, um, I really thought that he was kind of a little crazy, like that he was so worried about this. So. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly there were people that have been warning us, and we kept, thought it would probably be flu and not yeah. uh, coronavirus, but there were a few people, a very small number of people, who were absolutely adamant that we were not doing enough, yeah. and we should have listened to them. Yep. Yep. But I'm sorry, I interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, well, and, you know, and, and just like, you know, just like you, Don, at the beginning of the pandemic, I, too, was like, I don't, I think this is being blown out of proportion. Mm. I think we're just being, you know. Yeah. Wildly crazy. What do you do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm. At least you weren't recorded on a podcast saying But, but yeah. I mean, I remember saying to people, how? Remember saying to our friend Max, how, how worried are you about the flu? You know, what do you do to prevent the flu every year? Well, you get a shot. Well, that's good. But yeah, and turns out this is worse than the flu. So. Yeah. And so, like, what, what are things that you think that you guys think that you know, some risk mitigation strategies to help us not be so blindsided in the future, right? We'll never, like, it's not ever that we can plan exactly for how this is going to turn out, but I don't think we really planned at all. <laughs> like, I don't think we had, like, any, any sort of baseline guideline of, of this is how we're going to communicate, this is, this is how we're going to roll out, you know, how we're going to roll out testing, how we're going to roll out vaccines, how we're going to, you know, explain to people what they need. It was just kind of like this frenzy free-for-all. And, and I think that really hurt the trust, and that was part of it. Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, again, not to, not to blame too much on the, the former president, but, uh, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's, I mean, there are, and, and again, all, you know, not, not just the former Republican president, but the former Democratic presidents who who could have had the opportunity. But again, it's it's so hard, right? You're, you're trying you're trying to always make decisions in the absence of full information. But I think anything anything that we can do to well, you know, and God, it's just going to turn political, right? Like, how much money do we really need to spend on the Department of Defense, right? Could we maybe give more money to USDA and FDA? Could we maybe give more money to CDC, um, you know, and spend and spend less money on the Department of Defense? I, I, those would all be really good things. And, and I'm kind of in a pretty negative, negative place right now with respect to the future of our country, right? And thinking about, well, you know, I'm just sort of, well, well, I'm going to just keep my head down and 
you know, if things get really bad, um, move to Canada or, or one of those socialist countries in Europe where I can keep doing what I'm doing. But it's, it's, it's a pretty, and again, Ben, I, 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 that earlier observation that you made about like when the panel was asked about politiz politicization, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah, well, and I, I always think, I think about the Buckminster Fuller quote and again, I'll, I'll look it up and to get it right in a minute. But it was something like, um, you know, it's it, the 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 race between you know destroying ourselves and and having a truly wonderful world. It's going to be touch and go right up until the minute, last minute. So right, right. I'll, I'll find the good the right quote for show notes. Yeah, it's I, so. I mean, I think I think there were plans, right? Like I think that that that's something that that existed out there. That there's there's been so many. Um, you know, since I've been around the food world, there's been uh, lots of sort of mock outbreaks, and, and and there was a lot that was put in place to be ready for influenza, like high pathogenic um, influenza from from poultry. The I think the problem really was that the plans weren't um, well distributed and weren't followed because it became such a quick thing. And, and and no one really wanted to follow the plans that were there. Like, and, and, and it, but I mean, some of the questions that you ask about like rolling out vaccinations, I mean, I don't think that that was clear. We didn't know how, how different it would be from, you know, the fact that there's a coronavirus and not an influenza virus matters um, because there, there's extra time that gives this gap of like, oh my gosh, we know we won't have a vaccine or any sort of like treatment we, because this is a totally, it's not a totally different pathogen because we'd certainly seen coronaviruses in the past, but it's not one that we developed vaccines for. Right. Um, and so I think that that, that really um, impacted this. What, you know, and I'm gonna give a shout out to my epidemiology friends um, a little bit on this because early on in the pandemic, that my, like so many of them were like, we told you, we mm -hmm. told you this was happening. And, and they and they did like they, they the the epi web uh, or epi Twitter there's a lot of uh, folks that I that I follow there that that talked about that but then it became real old real quick right like not we told you now we're four months into it and it's like yeah we know we're, we're now we're in real trouble mm -hmm. like just telling us that we should have done something earlier is not really helping us um, anymore. And shout out to there's a couple of epidemiologists who listen who probably know who I'm talking about, uh, um, but but I do think that even when we're planning for things like I see this with like mock recalls and outbreak scenarios that we do in foodborne illness, no one's really like doing it for real, like like that and 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 so you, it's easy to make other decisions because you don't you're not dealing with this backlash from a community you're not dealing with not having resources on hand you're not dealing with the political side of things right like the fact that this happened in an election year is it's part of worst luck right yeah it's part of it right like because just by definition every decision that the administration made was um was either about the election or perceived to be about the election regardless of whether whether it was um, and that's, I mean, again, I think that's m not a uniquely U.S. thing, but but living living in two different countries where Canada, you know, there are certain elections that are set, and there's a restriction like campaigning can't start until eight weeks before that, um, or 
hey, we're going to call an election now and, and it's going to be six weeks from now, that's a totally different world than the U.S. where there's a cycle mm-hmm. that is, that, that, you know, that's been documented for, you know, 100 years or, well, more, but and, like really written about a lot on how that cycle Im- impacts decisions. And, and I think a parliamentary process where you have more than two parties would, would add stability. Um, and it, so I, I did find the correct Buckminster Fuller quote, and I also found a more cheerful quote from also from Buckminster Fuller. So I will read them both now and we'll link to them as well. Uh, the first quote, which is one that I was trying to think of, whether it is to be utopia or oblivion will be a touch and go relay race up right up until the final moment. Humanity is in final quote, final exam as to whether or not it qualifies for continuance in the universe. And then the, the more optimistic quote is, if humanity does not opt for integrity, we are through completely. It is absolutely touch and go. Each one of us could make the difference. So focus on the last part, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So do you think, because I feel like there was quite a bit of planning, because I just, I was in college at the time, but just remember a lot of like talk about it around when high the first time it came around, yeah, and I feel like there was a lot more messaging and discussion when that didn't be that didn't become, but it was there. Like it was there prior to it becoming, a, a, you know, even even getting to every single state. Like it became a conversation of, hey, this is, and maybe it was because I was at Michigan State and we are a land grant <laughs> agriculture right. college, and it was just actually being talked about at an agricultural college. Um, do you think that maybe people got apathetic because it had been so long since we'd had those kind of discussions and, you know, we'd, we'd say, hey, these are things that we need to do if this ever happens. And then it had been, and then, what, 12 years later, 13 years later is when we actually got hit with, with a global pandemic. Well, and then that that question makes me think of maybe the countervailing question, which is what what do we think about monkeypox and everybody who is panicking over monkeypox? And I sure don't want to be that guy that says, well, how worried are you about the flu about monkeypox? Right. But but I mean, I'm not that, I'm, I'm not that yeah. worried about monkeypox, to be honest. I mean, is it's certainly it's not foodborne. And could you get it from a person who has it? Yeah. Could you get it from touching? A food packaging that they touch, I guess theoretically, but again, another and monkeypox is another one. Or we're not supposed to call it monkeypox anymore, right? It's monopox. Were well, you telling me I that? No, but then then I read something else after that. Okay. The monopox. The problem with it is um, mono nucleosis. No, it no? translates to monkey in Spanish. Oh. Apparently, so it's just monkeypox in Spanish. Spanish. Well, we could so, call it the Spanish flu. Spanish. That would that worked out great, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I worry about people like again, and there's there's again, it's well, and you know, Twitter is a is a is a hellscape. I'm almost off, um, but um, you know, people like saying all sorts sorts of crazy stuff about monkeypox and and people being I I think alarmist, right? But again, see see Paul Mead, right? I mean, well, and, yeah, but I but I do think so. I, I guess cu- a couple things on that. One, I, I think everything that we practiced when it came to um, high pathogenic avian influenza was not about respiratory disease in the community at this extent, right? Like, yeah. like it, was a, it was really about like, if this gets into our poultry system or even swine flu, if it gets into our food system, how are we gonna depopulate that really quickly so it doesn't spread to like widespread in, in humans? And we were 
too far from that, like Rio, to, to really deal with it when it came to SARS-CoV-2. Um, and I think monkeypox is a little bit different because we've got existing vaccinations and their you know, post uh, you know antivirals and post-exposure therapeutics that we didn't have with 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 SARS-CoV-2. It's like it's like the perfect storm of all the wrong things, right? Like yeah. it was, you know, there there weren't a lot of tools. It was a new um, really a new pathogen for us. It was, it, you know, just wildly um, contagious uh, for so many, you know, again, I'm rehashing everything you all know, but like so many of the population, it could be devastating. There's high, you know, high fatality rate. Like all of those things made this. Yeah, high asymptomatic, asymptomatic asymptom carriers. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. All of that made it more difficult than what we had planned for, I think. Um, and, and then not following the plans that were there, right? Like that, and, and I think Mike, you know, Don mentioned Mike Osterholm, but I, I think he, he, he talked about that a lot. Like he was very much at the forefront of, of planning for things. And it's like, we have a playbook and, and we're not using it. Like we're, we're just throwing like things at this. Um, so, and, and I, you know, and I do like, I do blame a little bit of the, that direction from, you know, from the administration towards CDC, because you've heard about it now, like post issue of like how they slowed things down and the the types of wording, just how how close they were to um, to, to to changing those recommendations. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I think I think and you know what you were saying, Ben, made me think about. I think it was Taiwan, who where the um, original where they had the original SARS outbreak. And if it's if it's apologies if it's not Taiwan, it's another country in Asia, but um, uh, where they they were hit with the original SARS virus, and they knew they were ready, right? Like they had they had masks, they had a whole they were they were ready to go because they had been bitten by the first SARS virus, and they knew what they needed to do, and they were organized and they executed and they they got things under control. I'll, I'll relay like a story from a retailer here in the U.S about this you know going back to deep state's question um he at a recent meeting he told me we were, we were talking about like how things have changed for for them he said you know at the you know 13 years ago we bought pallets and pallets and pallets of um n95 masks because we were we, we you know we'd worked with planners and so um every year it was taking up space in our central warehouse and every year I got a, an email saying, do we really need these? Cause we're not going to use them. And then like they had them. And so that he would, the, their company was able to get a bunch of masks of people on the front lines. And then they had so much in inventory that they're like, and we can sell some as well <laughs> because we are a retailer and people are looking for masks. Yep. And so, so I think there were, there were a bunch of, um, you know, things that were in place, but that only went for so long, right? Yeah. Well, and, and again, to t I, I don't know how much of this story I can tell, but I'll, I'll suitably anonymize people. Um, there's a company out there that, that sells a product that you can use on your hands, and, and they were um, to disinfect them. And they, when, I guess it was, was it the original SARS? or some other virus and they're like wow you know this got really bad and we 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 didn't know how to ramp up supply and they're like we should get organized and figure out how to do this right the next time and it, it helped them in the, in the pandemic that they were able to ramp up production um, and you know kind of get things where they needed to be so that they weren't caught flat-footed so I guess you know one of the things that we always 
I always used to, I share this quote in the context of Boy Scouts, um, but, it, but it applies more than just in, in scouting. Um, good judgment comes with experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. So hopefully we can learn to make things better. Yeah, and, and one thing before we leave this topic, um, and probably we're, we're almost at two hours uh, now, but um, I, I want to highlight that this is something that we've talked about quite a bit in our Food Kobe Net project, which is, and it even came up today in a conversation, which is, yeah, we're, like we've learned a lot from this that we can apply to the next pandemic. And we've got to make sure that we're, like keeping that in mind, like maybe, you know, five, six is, is really good for, you know, all uh, enveloped uh, respiratory viruses. Or, right? or enveloped or, respiratory viruses, oh, e see, either one. The, or the pasta or pasta. Um, yeah, um, either any of them. But it, it, but it's like we're, we're, I think we're trying to learn stuff, not just about like rehashing what happened, but but for what happens in the next in the next one. And, uh, and, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen in our lifetime, but who knows? Maybe it'll happen next year. David, David Tharp would be very upset if, if, if that came to fruition and, and we could not have an IFP in person again. So. And, you, and you, you're recorded on a podcast saying this. If it happens, Ben, you put that out in the universe. I so. did this. I did this. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Any other, any, any other questions? Come on up, Robert. So Ben actually already doxed me, so that was fine. I, I did. have nothing to hide. <laughs> uh, I'm Rob with the North Carolina Food Innovation Lab. Um, so my question is related to TerraFlower. Um, with more companies starting to use food commodities that haven't been used as much in the past, do you see more problems coming up where they don't necessarily know what they're using and do we need to have more testing of toxicity compared to what they have now where they're more focused on food, micro, looking at pathogens instead of actually looking at everything as far as food safety goes? Well, and I mean, I think it make, honestly, your question immediately made me think of pink sauce, right? Because it's not only people using what they don't know they're using, but it's these small entrepreneurs. And again, we love small entrepreneurs, right? But these small entrepreneurial companies that are maybe, and again, I think, um, uh, who's, the, who's the company um, that, that caused the uh, situation with what might not be Terra Flower now? Uh, Daily, Harvest. Daily Harvest, right? Are they a small company? Are they a startup? You know, are they are they maybe? Yeah, and again, we're and we're all looking. We're looking for vegetable proteins, right? Because we we're we're all trying to like eat less meat, and we want vegetable proteins that taste like meat. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, so I guess the and again, you know, you can be like Chef Pie, and you can apparently just start a company and sell stuff on TikTok. So, I, yeah, we can we can have. So I guess there's two two problems is. How do we make sure that people that should be operating under the existing regulations are know those regulations and operate under them? And then the question is, are, what is the what is the status of those existing regulations, and do they need to be strengthened? And those are two separate questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I mean again, I hate to be like the the negative. Well, I guess I can I can I can be the optimistic guy that says you know how how, how bad is the flu, and also the negative guy that or the the more conservative guy who says well, um, you know we we these we need to pay attention in these small companies and, and and so these small I think 
I think with respect to TerraFlower or whatever it is from Daily Harvest, we are only going to see more things like this as people um, try to innovate. And again, supply chain, and I think part of maybe, we don't know yet, but part of what caused that problem is supply chain constraints. It's like, well, okay, I can't buy this ingredient. Who can I find that can sell me this ingredient? I'm going to try this guy who's like, you know, operating out of a, probably not over operating out of a van, but I'm, I'm not going to go, I can't go to my usual supplier. I got to go to my other supplier. Um, and maybe they are, you know, not as good or as fastidious about uh, where they're sourcing their flour. Maybe, and again, I think about this with respect to dietary supplements, right? Or even, even fish adulteration, right? We know that you can go to a, to somebody and buy fish that's supposed to be X species and in fact it's Y species and I got to imagine the same things with plants and if it's a plant that has a toxic component or a more a more of a toxic component then it's going to be a, a, the problem uh, you know so I I, I I hate I mean again so I guess I can balance my undue optimism with undue negativity sometimes yeah no I'm I'm with you um, on this I think it's a really good question because I think that people are very, like, are really, really trying to find all the, like, new and novel things to, to do, and and we certainly want to support that. But I, I think, you know, Rob, Rob, I think your your question is like super important. Like that, it just because it's new and novel doesn't mean that it's not going to cause any sort of, um, you know, uh, adverse reaction or, or illness. And and I don't know. I mean. You know, we don't. I, I still don't feel like we know the full story on, on the Terra flour or Terra gum or Terra protein or exactly what it is. It's really super complicated, and, and whether it's a food additive or whether it's considered a food, and and all the system that we have to go through for for those, um, you know, those types of products. But you know, we've talked about this on the podcast in the past as well. Like, Soylent had a similar situation with adding a, a different. Um, protein, you know, from I think a like algae or or some sort of like kelp-based protein that led to a bunch of like explosive diarrhea that seemed really bad, um, and and so so yeah, I mean, I think the the quick answer is we we sh if it's if it's new if it's novel, even though it may not may or may not be on the grass list, I think the way that it's sold and 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 um, as a food product, I think we need to. The companies that are doing that need to be pretty cognizant of, of what the potentials are and to work around toxicity um, studies as, as well. And I don't like I say that I don't even know exactly what that what that means or what that looks like. But I think that that's one of the challenges of being in a like novel protein or novel food world is is that we we just we we don't know we don't have the we don't have the history um, with it in, in some cases. And companies making those products should probably like pay attention to that. But now, did you? Am I imagining this? Did some? Did you? Did we talk to somebody recently who said it might not be the Terra flower? We did. I don't have any more details. I okay. Just heard, that's all I heard. Was okay. Because there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing on the internet no, that I can find. I know this. Okay. We we might just have put it on the internet. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, as soon as this episode posts. Yes, as soon as this posts. No, no. I know. I mean, I, all I got was well, there's more to this. It might not. It might not be the Terra. And um, even though Daily Harvest says it's the terror. And can you give any hint as to who you heard that from? Nope. A re industry regulator? I cannot. Oh, come on. <laughs> just, no, I just, it's just I, us, Ben. I feel bad that I've, I've, I've shared it already. Okay, all right, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. 
Cool. Thanks, Rob. Veronica, um, and I'll just stop at that. Um, so the question I have is about a, a little bit related to the roundtable that is going to happen in a little bit, and it's about what we see on TV. And so before leaving for IFP, um, I looked on Netflix just randomly to have a look what sort of things are shown there. And I noticed two of the shows, one of the shows that I have seen and another one that I haven't. And one of them uh, is called, I believe, Is a Cake. And so where hyper-realistic cakes uh, are being oh, yeah. made by contestants and obviously then turned into objects um, to, to look like, for example, uh, a bag or, a, or some other food sometimes or something else, which is fantastic super skills and and i really like the creative part of it but there's no message there about the safety of um, products like that or what chefs should do when they're doing it so it's a lot about fun and not enough about safety and i can see how this saying something about safety would kill the fun if, you, if that makes sense however what do you think about this? The second show that I've seen was about remaking leftovers into something that is uh, uber, like MasterChef, but with leftovers. Um, and so contestants have to remake uh, what they have in the fridge, presumably some kind of leftovers that they are, uh, have been given, into something new that would be a, a, a fine dining dish. Again, I'm not sure, I haven't seen that show, so I'm not sure what kind of food safety message is there, but what, what are your thoughts about shows that prioritize fun and, and uh, look of food over, over safety? So, so Ben, can you remind me, who is that Canadian chef that we talked about on TikTok? That, yeah. Suser Lee. Yeah, Suser Lee. Um, uh, it's a, he's a wonderful TikTok channel where his son brings him something like a McDonald's Big Mac, and he remakes it into a gourmet food. And it's, it's, again, I, I just want to promote it because I just find that, that, that particular TikTok account to be absolutely fascinating. Um, the other thing that it makes me think of is we did an episode, I think it was a Risky or Not, or might have been pre-Risky or Not on Food Safety Talk, about um, gold and silver foil. Do you remember that? Yep. Um, which is, again, not quite what you're talking about yep. with hyper-realistic cakes, but in, in an effort to get hyper-realistic, you might use ingredients that are not safe. Um, I mean, it's a concern. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, what's the? You don't want to tell people don't have fun. And for gosh sakes, like, we don't want to be like. Very often, people want us to be like, tell me, tell me what I shouldn't do. Tell me what I can't eat. And Ben and I are very much we're consistently on record as saying, look, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're going to tell you what the risks are of what you're trying to do. And so, I guess what I would say with with all of those things, um, you know, to a certain extent buyer beware right like if you don't if you're just going to go out and make something on the internet and you're going to follow whatever ingredients there are that they tell you to use you might want to pay attention to that right um but also again i think the, the one of the fascinating things about pink sauce for me to me is we had people that were not food safety experts right we had john lovett we had the guys at chapo trap house all absolutely definitively calling 
this pink sauce out, just regular people, again, normal people, not food safety experts like us, um, like all of us, um, uh, calling that out. So um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I'm not sure. I really answered your question, but but I mean, certainly, we Ben and I are not going to tell people not to have fun. You know, <laughs> that's, right, not, that's right. not our beat. No, but but I but I will like I had a little bit of experience working on a TV show a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, Did that ever air? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think I don't know if we if we ever we haven't ever talked about okay. it. No. So I have like oh lots. This we probably need to do a very special episode yes. on this eventually. Yes. Um, so I was on. I I worked. I wasn't on. I I worked as a um, quote food safety officer. That is my official title. Um, on a TV show called The Smoke Ring, which was run, this is purely American. Uh, it is a spinoff of The Moonshiners, uh, um, uh, uh, whatever, series. And, and so what was really interesting in working on that, and I think it does get to, to your question, is that the, the only reason why I was on that show is because the showrunner for the show valued food safety. That, that was the only reason. And in fact, he and I, got to we talked a lot over we 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 taped the show over um like a three-week period and um and i was like every time that there was food made because i was i like we we just ended up talking he was like do you want to try all this food and i was like for sure i do so i got to eat all this stuff and we would talk about like his experience making reality tv shows and that he worked on a couple other um, food, you know, food shows and, and talking to other crew members who worked on like Top Chef and some of the other like food reality shows. They're like, yeah, we don't, it's, this is entertainment. We don't, this is not a factor for us. But he said he valued it because his partner uh, ran a food blog. And he, he, you know, to paraphrase what he said, he was like, I'm really concerned that they're going to get called out for some bad, like, practices on Twitter or on Instagram and be the brunt of the jokes. He's like, you wanted some credibility. And secondarily, this was a, like a competition show where, where, um, you know, like Bake Off, where, where judges were eating the food. And he's like, I really don't want the judges to get sick. And, and, and so, which was really fascinating. Like when I talked to him about this, he's like, yeah, this isn't really normal. Like we don't, like they had to find me from Google, not like, oh, we have a group of people that work as food safety officers on, on these shows. So I think we haven't quite like penetrated that world, but I'll, I'll tell you, and, and this is um, you know, nothing, nothing against my, my esteemed colleague, Don Schaffner here, but I don't think Don or, or Linda or Michelle would have gone out to do this job. Like it was, I, I stood there for 16 hours for um, five days straight and watched food preparation because this is the kind of research that I do and I'm really interested in it and and it's it was it was but it was it was hard work like it was like not it, yeah it, it was different than the what we what we normally do and you're constantly like hurry up and, and wait and it was pouring rain for three days and um, you know all of it like working in television produ- production I have a much greater appreciation for how hard that is but also why food safety is not a big part of it because they're trying to tell a story and and food safety isn't part of their story um he just didn't want to get in trouble for anything and it and should it be part of their story maybe yeah like it would be great if it was but also things that are not part of their story sustainability 
um, you know, climate change, uh, water conservation, all like big issues. And so I think it, for us, look, it, we we can we need to continually talk about this. But I think it's it, it we we it's hard. It's going to be hard to penetrate that that world. And and you know, like and who would do it? Like truthfully, like I wouldn't. I would not do it as a career. Um, so how do we get like the food safety person to to be at Top Chef for you know you're away from your family for ten weeks and you're working sixteen hour days. Um, and like, and I, and, but you also need to have some background in food safety to be, be able to identify it and to have enough confidence to step in and be like, stop that. <laughs> um, which was like not easy. Like if I hadn't had that, um, sort of permission from the showrunner, he's like, that's what I need you to do. Like, just stop people. And I'm like, what if it's in the, he's like, I don't care. Like we'll reshoot it. So, but that it. It, he he was the one who drove it, not not me. He just needed someone to know what what to look for, and that's I think unique. Well, with with all due respect to my colleague Dr. Chapman, I think at least one person on that list of three people would be happy to do it. And in fact, this this conversation reminds me. And the, the, the spoiler, it's me. Um, <laughs> um, the and Linda and Michelle aren't here to defend themselves. But this reminds me of a TV show that I had the opportunity to do, but I couldn't do because of the time constraints, which was a show about gourmet foods from dumpster diving. And they ended up using our, and, and he was a character on the show. They ended up using our colleague, Randy Warabo, to do that. And I just texted Randy, who's here at the meeting, to, to remind me of the name of the show. I can't find it, um, but we will link to uh, Randy's uh, page at Cornell. And, if, and we, if we get the link from him, we'll put it into the, the show notes for those of you listening at home. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there maybe we are kind of getting to the point where there's at least some penetration of food safety. And certainly, again, and, and you know, friend of the show, uh, Jess, um, uh, was a, who was a guest on the show, talked about um, and also the wonderful um, 30 pounds of unrefrigerated feta, I think is the risky or not episode, the episode about a lot of unrefrigerated feta. Um, and they came on the show and talked to us about their experience with dumpster diving. And so I think that there is, I, and again, maybe it's the world that we're in, like we, we can't see the world except through food safety because that's the vision that we see the world through. And so of course we're gonna see the screw ups and we're gonna see the people doing the right thing. but. I mean, it's it's sort of out there in the culture to a certain extent. And again, I'll come back to like people calling out, you know, pink sauce, right? Um, that's good. That's a, that's a good thing because it means people care about food safety. I was more um, sort of adding to the question. I was worried about the message it's sending to the people who are watching the show. So apart from, of course, it's entertainment. We all like to watch a story, like you said, without any messages or disclaimers or anything. But wouldn't the consumers then go and do the same thing with their own leftovers or with their own uh, cake, for example, or something sure. else? This is what worries me the most. Because mm -hmm. well, to me, whenever I see it, it screams that you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing this. And perhaps the show uh, organizers did cover their back and definitely um, maybe even employed someone who um, looked into food safety of this. But um, just 
in general, I really appreciate your answers, though. Yeah. And, and sharing, you know, participation in, uh, in the show. Thanks. It's very interesting. Thanks. And, you know, and that makes me think, too, of one thing, and we should wrap this up really soon, but um, about, like, restaurants push back on notices on menus about uh, not consuming undercooked food because their, their thing is, well, people are here to have a good time. We don't want to talk to them about food safety. It's like, well, okay, but, you know, in many state food codes, you have to. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think that it, it's akin to some work that we did in cook, looking at cookbooks a few years ago in, in the same way. Yes, right? like yes, exactly. Like, yes. It, you know, your, your point is, is really well taken because it's, it's instruction, right? Like it's here's something that, that we need to think about. Um, and, and similarly, the, you know, what we heard from, from you know, not just Gwyneth Paltrow, um, but, but others, um, was that, yeah, well, our cookbooks are our instruction about how to make tasty food, not always safe food. And, and it's like really, that's really difficult, right? Like it's, it's a, it, and, I, and I think that that's like, I, I encourage you to ask that question um, in 25 minutes um, at, the, at the round table because I think, it's, I think it's really, I think it's really key. I think it's really important that we continue to ask like, how can we do this? Like, where are the, the places for us to, to be involved? Who would do it? How do we be, become available? And, and, and the thing that, that I've, I've learned from my, from my experience, and not just that experience, but all, like, all experiences, it's really easy to be like a food safety jerk and, and then not get invited back, right? Like, and that's, that's the other thing that we have to like, think about. It's like, how do, we, how do we do this in a way where we're actually trying to solve a problem and then be be part of this this conversation. So it's a good, really good, good question. I think that's a I show. I think it's a show. Yeah, sorry, it's uh, two hours and nineteen minutes, and I've got to go to a symposium in twenty minutes. So, um, so maybe I'll I'll try to play this. I had it all queued up, Don. All queued up, all ready to go. As we exit, Ben will play. It if you listen to the show. Well. All right, that's the show. Go, go, go out and buy Mr. Young's music. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>